during 2021, we should be able to manufacture a lot of vaccines. And, and that vaccine, a uh, key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission. Uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. We can kind of almost see the end. We're, we're vaccinating so very fast. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Essentially, vaccines block you from getting and giving um, the virus. Fully vaccinated people are at a very, very low risk of getting COVID-19. Therefore, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. We have all the vaccines we need. We just need our people to take it. A, for their own protection, for the protection of their family, but also to break the chain of transmission. You want to be a dead end to the virus. So when the virus gets to you, you stop it. You don't allow it to use you as the stepping stone to the next person. I think given the country as a whole, the fact that we have now about 50% of adults fully vaccinated and about 62% of adults having received at least one dose as a nation, I I'm, I feel fairly certain you're not going to see the kind of surges mm-hmm. we've seen in the past. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized. You're not going to be an ICU unit. And you're not going to die. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Welcome to the Daily Wrap Up concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. An important discussion about what was just admitted. I I, I hesitate to call it an admission because of what we're going to get into today, but the Newsweek article that is essentially saying or at least a, a, the person writing the article in an opinion piece is saying that the medical, the, the scientific community was incorrect. They were wrong, and we need to own up to that now, and it costs people's lives. It's a really interesting article. I, I argue it is the next attempt after the, let's all just forgive everybody and pandemic amnesty. This is the next step, in my opinion. This is all my opinion. Obviously, this was printed on Newsweek, so it's not something you would have expected to see ever really and we all could admit that you wouldn't see an article like this a year ago you just wouldn't even if it was known as much as it was now it just wouldn't the the politics were different i believe this is being pushed out in a way to essentially say we were wrong but we weren't really though and that's what we're going to get into today that it's really just a it's it's a it's a better hidden 
we're right, even though we're wrong, kind of a manipulation where it's still all you know, pro getting the same kind of injections. And it was really because you guys didn't understand and we weren't patient enough. That's the kind of con- uh, patronizing, whether it's intentional or not, kind of mindset of this, this article we're getting to right out of the gate today. And I think it's a really interesting and important point to highlight how this conversation has gone. And, you know, first of all, just right out of the gate to pat yourselves in the back for very clearly seeing this right out of the gate for continuing to break it down, being objective and not just jumping into every fake thing that put in front of us. And now coming to the point to where we can look back and go literally, I mean, almost every single thing. And I'll say almost only because there were a couple, numerous examples that we could push to the side. Almost every single thing we discussed about this turned out to be the case myocarditis being one of the most important that we were censored for. That was the, what we were censored originally for on Twitter. And that's an, um, one of the main focuses today is going to be a reiteration of the myocarditis point on this, but to show you how it is easily the most provable point in, you know, the chink in their armor of the narrative around COVID-19 and the injections, easily the most admitted to provable, even their admission, which is it's far more severe than they're admitting, but even that admission itself should be enough to shut this whole thing down. And yet, oddly enough, it's the one thing that people are the, I guess, the least informed in, in, in the in the mainstream conversation. I'll go through and show this to you. It's like arguing that these things still stay in your shoulder muscle. Those of you that know how dumb and ridiculous that is and how obviously that's been shown to be false should laugh if anybody's out there still saying it doesn't go in your bloodstream. You know, like the entirety of Red Cross is still saying, if you could actually believe that. It's mind-blowing. But we're going to go through that article today to talk about what they're now saying. Again, I th- it's casual to say it that way. And I agree sometimes it's inappropriate. They and, you know, the hierarchy enslaving you. When I, mean, when I say it like that in this context, I simply just mean the apparatus, the corporate media, and how it's being discussed and allowed to come out in corporate settings like this when we know how controlled this setting is. Everybody should. We have people like Allison Morrow and others that have come from that field and said exactly what they don't want you to know about it, which it is completely controlled. Now, we'll go through that article to show you what, they're, what the, the, the narrative is now and how they're trying to admit that things were wrong, but at the same time kind of cement that this is still the right direction. And it was only because we didn't do it the right way, but it was the still the right direction, which is just egregiously incorrect. And then we're going to go through how that information is being used to cover other, other things. We're going to talk about the myocarditis overlap and the conversation they're in and how important and wildly severe this really is and how even the CDC is still now arguing that it's totally okay to get multiple shots right alongside each other, the whole pregnant conversation, all of it in the context of the myocarditis and the side effects that they're pretending aren't there, as well as the fact that this is just going to continue forever based on their seemingly, well, interestingly enough, we'll end with the point about Biden arguably claiming to end this pandemic over there in May, which is the silliest thing ever, as if we could somehow know that it would taper down. Like, it just, it's so ridiculous. On top of the fact that Tedros from the WHO is alternatively saying that it's not over and it won't be because it's still bad. It just shows you how they don't even seem to be on the same page anymore. So let's get into it today. Uh, I'm trying, it looks like, oh, never mind. I thought somebody, somebody got a, a weird name in the chat. I thought it was a spam bot. All right, let's, let's jump into this. Starting out, as I said, no preamble other than my discussion there, the article itself. Now, we actually briefly touched on this this morning on uh, AM Wake Up. It was a, inter- a good conversation. Whitney was there. We talked about a lot of interesting things, by the way. Check it out. It was a really interesting, engaging conversation. But this is just really, really interesting timing 
And by the way, before I get past it, I had a great conversation with Texas Lindsay this morning as well. That's on Rockfin. Podcast will come out tomorrow. Really enjoyed the conversation there, actually. And it's clear that we have different opinions on some things, but I always respect somebody who is able to have an amicable conversation when we're all striving for the truth, even if we have different political opinions about this, about Twitter. Yeah, really come away with more respect than before for her. Check out her account. She's doing good work. So let's start on this. It is time for the scientific community right out of the gate. Like, you know, I'm going to pick this thing apart, but just it's funny to me that what do they mean when they say that? It's time for the scientific community to admit we were wrong. (laughs) Okay, well, there was a lot of people in that community that weren't wrong, (laughs) like Dr. Bhakti and all the rest of them we could list off. I only use Bhakti specifically because he was one of the earliest alongside people like James Lyons-Weiler, all of whom we discussed and interviewed, or even going back to the early, early, which is the same time as Bhakti, people like Buttar, Mikovitz, who, by the way, I just recently saw at the Reawaken America tour. It's, these people were so far ahead of this. Even if you think they've got different agendas, the information they were relaying was really far ahead of what we're now talking about. So my point is, is it time for the entirety of the scientific community? Well, no. It's time for the people that are scientists and doctors and others in this community, whatever that means to them, who knowingly lied, who got it wrong, who are too dumb to know otherwise, to stand up and say, yep, you got it, we're wrong. And not in the ridiculous Scott Adams style or kind of how this article is going, to essentially say that we were right because we're smarter than you, but we were too brisk about it and we scared you away. So that's why we were wrong. That's not admitting you were wrong. That's admitting we're too dumb to see that you were right. So therefore you were like, it's just crazy how they try, try to place this we're better than you lens over everything. And I don't even know if they realize they're doing it. So this, in this case, it's a medical student or it looks like a, a medical doctor and PhD student, but he's in medical school and a researcher right now. Point being, admit that they were wrong and that it costs lives. Now, this is really important to me because of the way he mentions consent in all of this. This is one of the reasons, aside from the way they're clearly trying to couch this in, like I just said, we're right, even though we were wrong. I was actually shocked to see that they want admit that they didn't meet informed consent and that that then took lives. That statement alone. Now, yes, one person, one student, but it's on Newsweek, though, right? And not that that means anything other than it's mainstream, but that should be, that is a crime. People should go to jail, prison for that, to knowingly, because we know this in some cases was knowingly, even as this article makes clear that people drag their feet on admitting this stuff, even though we know it's way more nefarious than that. There's a level in here where he's admitting, maybe not for himself personally, since he's not the one in this community, he's a student, but that there were people out there that knowingly at some level didn't inform people of the risks, and it killed people. It's amazing to me. And that, that alone shook. I was like, wow, I can't believe this came out on Newsweek. And I think that if unless this is, who knows where this will go forward, but bottom line, that statement should put people in prison. This came out yesterday. Medical student researcher. It says, we in the scientific community were wrong, and it cost lives. I can now see that the scientific community and again, just last, just don't forget when they say that they're not talking about all the other doctors and scientists, specifically scientists that were saying this beforehand. So it's interesting, as always, that they just exclude anybody from that community who just doesn't say what they were saying, except everyone that wasn't saying that was excluded, which means everyone that was excluded turned out to be right. Is that fun? But they're still arguing the scientific community were all the ones that got it wrong. And all the ones that got it right. It's just it's just we should somebody needs to make a cartoon, uh, a sitcom or a cartoon about this way down the line. I can now see that the scientific community 
from the CDC and the WA to the WHO to the FDA and their representatives repeatedly overstated the evidence. That's a lie. That's not an accident and misled. That's dishonest. Not an accident. The public about its own views and policies. What, whatever the narrative you think, if you pretend they did it because they thought it was the right thing or because they were trying to stop vaccine hesitancy and they weighed the options, it doesn't matter. These people lied to you. They overstated the evidence and lied about what they what was the policy. I mean, everything he goes on to say, including one of the most ridiculous, comical and insulting situations in all of this natural versus artificial immunity. Remember, I keep pointing back to that motherboard article, which is going to go down in infamy. The conspiracy theory, the dangerous conspiracy theory of natural immunity. And, and understand that was not an article about only COVID. That was an article undermining the very premise of natural immunity as if it had never been proven. Oh, thank you. Somebody saying the phone's farther away right here. Let's see if you guys can hear me on that. By the way, on that note, that somebody's giving me a comment about the Twitter spaces conversation being too, my, my, me being too far away from the mic. Just for those that are out there listening, I do, I have been, I forgot one of the last few times, but I'm consistently trying to broadcast the show on Twitter spaces. So you'll find it right now on my Twitter account on spaces, but it's not a conversation. I'm not engaging with anybody. I'm just trying to take advantage of yet another medium to broadcast this show. Alternatively, we do have, and will have conversations on this, assuming it continues to stay not manipulated and censored. But just for those that know and those that are listening right now on Spaces, I'm not going to be engaging and asking questions and letting people speak. It's not how this will work for me. I think it's important just to use every outlet we possibly can. So this just gets this in front of more people on Twitter is the point. But I, if it's loud enough, I hope so. Moving closer. All right. So artificial or natural immunity, school closures and disease transmission, aerosol spread, mask mandates and vaccine effectiveness and safety especially among the young. So everything he just listed off there are things he's implying of his own opinion. And I agree with him. Excuse me. I agree with him that they lied about or at least misled you on schools, transmission, aerosol spread, mask mandates, vaccine effectiveness. I mean, this is this is scathing if you really understand what he's admitting to. But when you get into the latter part of this, it becomes clear that he's really not saying that they were wrong Rather, they didn't do a good enough job explaining it to you, essentially. Or at least that's how I take it. You, you come to your own conclusions. He says all of these were scientific mistakes at the time. Now, right there, that's, it's just not possible. You literally, if you, if you listen to certain people right now who are really breaking this down, like Dr. Yeadon, for example. These are very intelligent, highly credentialed people who have come to the conclusion that this is something far beyond even profit or control. That there's like something at a level of the word evil. And he was really, he said that and was like, I can't even believe I'm saying that out loud. And the point is that these are very intelligent people that have taken this to the extreme with all the research and going, there's just no way that everybody, the point is somebody at some level knew these didn't work. And we've proven that. They knew these would hurt people. They knew that X, Y, and Z wasn't going to happen or X, Y, and Z was going to happen. They knew all of these things. At some level, there's no way around that. So to pretend it was a mistake right there, maybe right here, here's the, one of the first important points is maybe this is all about laying it at the feet of very specific mistakes for everybody while giving a pass to the most, you know, the Fauci's of the world, the people at the top of the food chain and I don't say he's the top, but he's one of the higher ups involved in the decision making process and essentially going, well, they did what they thought was right. How long have we been telling you that was going to happen? That they're all eventually going to go, well, we had limited information and we did what we thought was right and it turned out to be wrong. Well, then how did we know? How did Bhakti know? 
It's not a mistake. And he goes, amazingly, some of these obfuscations continue to the present day. So again, he makes it very clear that they know now and are still lying to you. At the very least, are aware that the information they were relaying is faulty or whatever he, the point he's trying to make, but they're still doing it. But perhaps, he says, most more important than any individual error was how inherently flawed the overall approach of the scientific community was and continues to be. It was flawed in a way that undermines its efficacy and resulted in thousands, if not millions, of preventable deaths. So regardless of whether you think the point is that they didn't relay the information well enough or that they lied or that they whatever, their actions and lack or lack thereof led to people dying. I think we all know that if we're honest with ourselves or the lockdowns, masks, all of these things literally did lead to people being killed more so than ever would have happened otherwise. This and again, what's amazing is these were still are called conspiracy theory. But when I say these, I'm, I'm referencing science, most of it peer reviewed. But it says what we did not properly appreciate, he says, is that preferences determine how scientific expertise is used. And that our preferences might be indeed our preferences were very different from many of the people that we serve. It's an odd way to say that your preferences Like, so removing rights and forcing vaccination, like that's kind of a bit over the top of it's that's a bit more than a preference, wouldn't you say? And that the argument would be that we we should have listened. Well, we were screaming about our preferences, were we not as anybody else? Not even they try to frame this as kind of like the the rich and smart and the poor and stupid. I mean, it's literally what he says next for the most part. The point is, there's plenty of wealthy, intelligent, educated people that were screaming that I don't want to be forced to do this. So it's not this class divide they try to make it into, which is the same thing they always try to do with this, that all the people on the right are the anti-vaxxers and all the people on the left are the ones that are... That's not true, guys. And I've been saying this from the beginning. I've, there's too many people on the right who are clearly wildly pro-vax because Trump is, and there's plenty of people on the left who are completely against this because they're not dumb. That's my opinion. But I've seen this, and I've been showing you people, showing people this from the very beginning, that the overlap was never a partisan divide. They needed it to be, though. But it says, we created policy based on our preferences, then justified it using data. Yeah, that's 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 a lie. He's literally saying that we decided what we thought was right, and then just, as we keep telling you, p-hacking, and however else we discuss this, we made the data fit what we wanted to accomplish. That's not honesty. That's not even science. It says, and then we portrayed those opposing our efforts as misguided arrogant, selfish, and evil. We made science a team sport. Now, that's about the most honest thing in this entire article. And in doing so, we made it no longer science. Even more true. It's just like, it's politics, guys. It is team sports politics, which is exactly what we talk about on AM Wake Up all the time. This is what we're dealing with. People that are ignoring facts and science in in, in the interest of whatever their narrative, of uh, their side's narrative is that day. Even the so-called trust the science crowd. Very clearly today, we can see that. It became us versus them. And, quote, they responded the only way anyone might expect them to, by resisting. Now it says, we, oh, the next part, it says, our emotional response and ingrained partisanship. So, you know, so I would argue, if I had to guess right now, I feel like this is coming from a place of honesty. I guess it's hard to even say that with how many things that, but like this guy believes what he's saying. I'm guessing, by the way, just so it's clear, because there's things like that that I argue somebody trying to toe a line wouldn't argue unless they were trying to make it seem that way. Just, you know, that always drives people crazy when I'm super objective like that. But 
the point is partisanship clearly played a role in all of this. And that's not just the right and anti-vaxxers, guys. This is a, an, a, an emotional, emotionally driven political game. And it has been from the very beginning. And I think the people like us, the two-party illusion awareness, people out here screaming that you're all being fooled, seem to be the most on track. It doesn't mean we're right about everything. But people that weren't being swayed by left-right politics were very, very clearly more in line with, at least ready to accept things when they were put in front of them. You know, like studies around masks not working, you know, and so on and so on. But it says, we systematically minimize the downsides of the interventions we imposed, just like we're seeing now, right? Lockdowns are going to save lives no matter what. And now because it serves the interest, they're now going, oh, but they also killed a lot of people. And that's why excess death. And we're going to blow that out of the water in a moment, too. The excess death is one of the next thing we're going to talk about. The game here, though, is they said it was fake news up until it suited their interest. Then it became relevant, but still somehow wasn't relevant to the beginning of the conversation, because that makes sense, right? imposed without the input consent and recognition of those forced to live with them that is the most important point in this i think he literally is admitting all of the interventions that means masks lockdowns injections imposed without the input consent and recognition of those forced to live with them that's a crime he just admitted a massive massive crime of medical coercion bioethics it's a big deal i really want people to reflect on how important that is that because the whole point about informed consent i mean Eric, i might as well bring this article up bringing this up since 2020 the beginning of this whole thing <clears throat> all right oh is this the 2021 i believe it was yeah december 2020 peer-reviewed march 2021 very clearly about informed consent in 2020 if those of you have seen this many times the specific and significant COVID-19 risk of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should prominently be and, should, and, and be prominently and independently disclosed to people in the trials, people taking the injections and so on, in order to meet informed consent. And the point is specifically about how the any of them, they make the point to say really any of them, these injections, in, irrespective of delivery method, may worsen your illness via antibody-dependent enhancement, meaning you get the injection, then come up against whatever's in the wild, and it's far worse than anything that would have happened before. Now, what happens when that kind of situation plays out? They don't die necessarily, but let's say they, with an inch of their life, and they go, oh, thank God you got the injection. It would have been worse. Except in their case, it wouldn't have. In this case, it was far worse because of the injection. But how do we know? We don't. But they'll always say that because that's the line. See how that works? That's what we're getting into here. Is they're just stating now it could be the case. And maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe they did have a better experience. But we know it's not everywhere all the time. But yet that's the narrative, you see. Informed consent was never met in all of this. That's why we have blank inserts and lies about myocarditis. I mean, they're barely even admitting to myocarditis right now. Informed consent. Never. It says most of us did not speak up in support of alternative views. And many of us tried to suppress them. When strong scientific voices, and this is actually interesting that they said this, like world-renowned Stanford professors, John Ioannidis. I literally just went up against somebody with the Ioannidis. I'll show you this study in a minute, showing you how this was never worse than the flu. And they're like, oh, Ioannidis, that old conspiracy theory group. It's amazing how John Ioannidis group, British Medical Journal, sometimes even the Lancet, are suddenly wild conspiracy theory groups in the right moment, in the light, in the right light, depending on who's talking about them. That's how broken we've gotten because of this. Now, you should have always have been questioning these outlets. You should have never been taking them at face value. Today, it's just a roll of the dice. It's whatever you choose in that moment. I'll trust them today, and I'll say they're fake news tomorrow based on what they're saying. 
Because who's deciding? The person reading it. That's not how this is supposed to go. Well, ultimately, you're supposed to come to your own conclusions. But the point is, they're not. It's not even about the conclusions being come to being reached in the articles. It's about what you already pre-decided before you read it. We all see this happening today, and it's mostly two-party politics. But he goes on to say more than that. John Ioannidis, Jay Bhattacharya, Scott Atlas, or University of California San Francisco professors Vinay Prasad or Monica Gandhi sounded the alarm on behalf of vulnerable communities. Now, you see, this is the game again. Start. This is where it gets very obvious. They sounded the alarm, especially to this day, on all of it. These are bad for everybody. Everybody. Every age group, every sex, everything. They're bad, they're dangerous, they're hurting people, they're not efficacious, and they're not safe. Period. The, the peer-reviewed science is proving this today. But what they're going to try to argue here is that this is all, they, well, they tried to speak up about, you know, the elderly and the, and the immunocompromised, and we just didn't listen. Well, it's much bigger than just that. They face severe censure by relentless mobs of critics and detractors in the scientific community, often not on the basis of fact or ever really, but based solely on the basis of differences in scientific opinion. So it was completely normalized and accepted in the government perspective and the media that they control to allow this thing to happen. Where you have a completely viable factual argument, they just people just come to different conclusions with the data, which we know can happen, and the government endorses one of them. And the other group gets called conspiracy theorists. We're, myocarditis was called a conspiracy theorist or conspiracy theory right in the beginning. I mean, even right this moment, there are people still pushing back on this. And we'll get into that in a minute. Now, it says the range of. The range of those marginalized by the rage, excuse me, the rage of those marginalized by the expert class exploded onto and dominated social media. The expert class, you see, like the way that they're, this was the first thing that stood out to me when I was reading this latter part of this article. Like they're really framing this as they're your betters. They truly believe this. They're the, you're, they're smarter. They're better educated, but you're important though, because you, you know, you take the trash out and you, and you, you know, do the, the, the farming and stuff. That's the percent. That's the feel I get from all of this. And not even with a sense of like insulting. It's genuinely, well, you're important too, because you have a job, but they're acting like it's because. They just didn't explain the rage of those marginalized by the expert class. Again, so like Dr. Malone or Dr. Cole, well, they're very clearly experts, but they're not in that class because they say the wrong thing. So is it really about credentials? No, it's about narrative. Exploded and dominated social media. Why? Because people wanted the truth. Lacking the scientific lexicon, and see, this is how they start to insult you. Lacking the scientific lexicon to express their disagreement, many dissidents turn to conspiracy theories. Okay. So what are we talking about here? Lacking the scientific lexicon. Are we going to pretend that many, many, many of the experts and doctors that have been speaking up aren't experts and doctors? Are we only going to pretend that the people who were speaking up were a bunch of average people that barely graduated high school? They're just expressing what they saw on Twitter. I mean, it's just insulting how they try to pretend this is the only thing happening. I mean, it's like th this is basically an extension of the same argument from day one. Oh, it's a bunch of people in their mother's basements with conspiracy theories, anti-science conspiracy. Oh, anti-science, is it? These are literal scientists using peer-reviewed science to prove what they're saying. And all they're doing is going, oh, they just couldn't express themselves. Or what about me, for example? I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. 
But I don't think in any stretch of the imagination in, in, well, let's put it this way. There's plenty of scientific words that I may struggle with. And I don't frankly care all that much how people want to pretend that means this or that. This is how I am. But do I lack the scientific lexicon to express the disagreement? No, I feel like I've pretty clearly done that. And I've been praised for it by people like Dr. Bhakti, by Dr. Peter McCullough, just expressing that this is one of the best locations for medical research. That, that blew me away. And I take that with a lot of pride. My point, though, is there's a lot of people out there who very clearly expressed exactly the point. They just didn't like what it said. They didn't like the science that was found. And so they, exp- they just go, oh, conspiracy theory, you're done. Many dissidents, and so the point is, this is really the interesting part about this whole thing. They turn to conspiracy theories, but aren't you arguing right now that they turned out to be right? I mean, really think about how ridiculous that is for a second. The whole premise of the article is that they were wrong, and the people that were against them turned out to be right. But yet they're arguing that the, the people who disagreed went to conspiracy theory. So are you arguing that the conspiracy theories were right? Or that you're trying to undermine that they went away from you, even though you argue that they were ultimately right. I mean, this is just confused. This is an effort to say we were right, even though we were wrong in a very convoluted way, just like everybody else. Now it says, and a cottage industry of scientific contortionists. Again, were they right or were they wrong? Are you admitting you were wrong or are you claiming that they got lucky or you see what I'm saying? An industry of scientific contortionists, meaning they're contorting and manipulating the information to make it seem like what they want, except that's exactly what you just said they did by rolling out the data to meet their own agendas. This whole thing is silly. To make their case against the expert class consensus, which just means they agree, not that they've proven these things, that dominated the pandemic mainstream. Labeling this speech misinformation and blaming it on scientific illiteracy and ignorance you expect them to be like, was wrong. No, the government conspire with big tech to aggressively suppress it. Okay, we, so you, you skipped over whether that was right or wrong. The point is you just simply argued we said this and then used that to suppress it. Erasing the valid political concerns of government's opponents. Very tactfully steps around what was just discussed there. So simultaneously calling us conspiracy theorists that we couldn't express what we wanted to talk about, and those that we were listening to were scientific contortionists, but somehow still got it right. It says, and this despite the fact that pandemic policy was created by a razor-thin sliver of American society who anointed themselves to preside over the working class. You see, this is, the again, same point. Is that what we're talking about? So now it's the working class versus the elites? That's how they're framing this. So the elite, razor-thin group of people who are the only ones we should be listening to, even though they got it wrong, are the ones who then presided over all the dumb people. And what they're referring to as the razor-thin sliver of America, who were the smart ones, academia, government, medicine, journalism, tech, and public health. Who they, he literally then follows by saying, who are highly educated and privileged. But you're not, though. That's That's implicit in what he said. The highly educated, privileged ones got it wrong. You got it right because you're the working class. You got lucky. I don't even know how you make sense of that. It says from the comfort of their privilege, in a way trying to like diminish what they're, but it's not a negative. In the comfort of their privilege, this elite prizes paternalism, which they do. But by saying elite, you're calling them elite. I mean, they're the better than you. They're elitists. Let's get away from elite. They're not elite. They're elitists, which means they think that they're better than you. Not that they are but definitely believe in paternalism, which simply means they, they get to decide for you. The government decides what's right for you. You don't choose anymore. As opposed to average Americans who loud self-reliance 
and whose daily lives routinely demand they risk they reckon with risk, right? All you people out there moving trash and farming and all this. This is how I take it. But the 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 privileged, educated ones want to you know work over you and all of you average people out there reckoning with risk all day long. You see what I'm saying? Like, am I wrong? This feels very very patronizing from the core, and I still argue it doesn't feel like he knows that he's doing that. It says that many of our leaders neglected to consider the lived experience of those across the class divide is unconscionable. So there's nothing happening here other than the poor people who don't understand and the rich people who tried to do what was right but didn't tell you what they were doing, and that's how we screwed up. Incomprehensible to us due to this class divide, we severely judged lockdown critics as lazy, backwards, even evil. But wait a minute now, were they wrong? You judge the critics, but were they right? I, hope, I mean, I, I hope I'm not belaboring the point. Like, it feels like this is written between the lines in every sentence. It says, we dismissed as grifters those who represented their interests. Again, inherent there is not whether those interests were right, but just rather that people were just standing up for what they thought was the right thing, and they called them grifters, even though ultimately they were wrong. That's how I feel that. We believed misinformation energized the arrogant, and we refused to accept that such people simply had a different valid point of view so you take that for what you will clearly just simply arguing that at least we had a right to have this opinion which thank you for allowing us to, the point is that's always been the case the the moment that they ever pretended you didn't have a right to make up your own mind was the biggest problem this is just them solidifying what we always should have known but it says if our public health officials had less had led with less hubris to realize i think i know why that was lower by the way for spaces if the public officials had led with less hubris, the course of the pandemic in the United States might have had a very different outcome with far fewer lost lives. Interesting. Right? Again, you could take that as them saying, had we not been so wrong that we would have saved lives. But, or you could take it as saying, if we just had been less, had less hubris, meaning that we weren't so cocky and confident about what we thought was right. Not necessarily saying they're wrong, though, is it, right? It says, instead, we have witnessed a massive and ongoing loss of life in America due to distrust of vaccines. And there it is. And the healthcare system. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong about that. The absurdity of pretending that you're ever supposed to blindly trust any level of authority is wildly anti-American. Like, literally counter to the very core concept of what this country's founded on. But today, oh, we lost trust in our authorities. Well, no, we should have never been trusting them. It doesn't mean you ignore or disregard. It just means you question every choice and every policy. Because guess what? Whether or not they're lying or deceiving, they could just be wrong. It amazes me that we could not engage with the possibility that people could just be wrong. And for that very soul, that soul point alone should question what they're doing then realize they could be lying and being paid off and being dishonest. But just the idea that people could make mistakes, it's stupid to go, I trust it, I'll take it without looking at it. It's mind-blowing. It really is. But again, a massive and ongoing loss of life in America due to the fact that we didn't trust the vaccines, you see? So we lost lives because they were too cocky about their plan, didn't make it clear to us, so we got scared away from a safe thing, even though it would have saved their lives, and that's how they got it wrong. Am I missing something? 
and the healthcare system. Yeah, you're damn right. We should be very skeptical of the third, second leading cause of death in this country before the pandemic. That just makes sense, doesn't it? A massive concentration in wealth by already wealthy elites. <clears throat> That's the point is they list off the, the, the reasons, the, the distrust of vaccines, the healthcare system, massive concentration of wealth by the already wealthy elites, elitists, and the concentration of wealth came because of the concentration of power around this whole agenda, a rise in suicides and gun violence and all the all these different things, which, by the way, are a completely direct result of their actions or lack thereof. But it says a massive loss of trust in healthcare, scientific authorities and public leaders more broadly. All of that is a positive. I don't care what anybody says about that. I don't care what your logic is. There's no way you're going to convince me that not blindly trusting authority is a bad thing. I mean, really, like there's just no way around that. I, again, it's not saying that you never trust them. You just engage every action and every comment and every choice with the same skepticism and discernment. God, it's amazing that that's conspiracy theory today. That's just basic intelligence. Now, it goes on to say it's clear to me, the, the writer, that for public trust to be restored in science, that shouldn't that's old, that should have never been the case, and it shouldn't be now. You should not trust scientists or science, whatever that means. You should trust the scientific method. You should trust that you have the ability to push back the question, to have other people and other scientists do other research that may challenge that, and then come to your own conclusion. And all they have the right to do is go here. You can look at this one. You can look at that one. It's your choice. Public trust in science is a manipulation. Scientists should publicly discuss what went right and what went wrong during the pandemic. Well, see, this is the game about how they're then going to dictate this, the going forward, how we look back on this and go, here's what this is what they're beginning to do with this article and the previous amnesty one. And where we could have done better, you know, maybe not forcing dangerous injections on children. You know, just just a thought. It's OK to be wrong and admit where one was wrong and what one learned. It's nice that they can say now, three years in, woo, that's a strong thing to say. Like, think how stupid that is. It's okay to admit you were wrong. Yeah, well, you're not really doing that, though. I fear that many are too entrenched in group think, that's interesting, and too afraid to publicly take responsibility to do this. I agree with that. I doubt it's actually going to happen, and I doubt this was even truly the intention of what this was allowed to be published for, whether or not this guy was aware of, you know, the larger agenda, in my opinion. Bottom line for me is that Newsweek allowed this to be published. So there's a there's a reason that this is needed. They, they Like I said, I feel like this is an act of desperation to try to regain control of a very clearly failing narrative. Very clearly. So to go to the next part about this in regard to the illusion, the excess death before. And I wanted to do this early on the show before we even get into the myocarditis and the other manipulations and the CDC because of how very obvious this is. Starting with the Epoch Times, by the way. I've frustrated the hell about that. <laughs> I was always saying Epoch Times, and then I got everybody everywhere telling me it was Epic Times, and then now I'm finding out that they were saying Epoch from the people that run the site. <laughs> My God, it's just so funny how things work today. But Epoch is how you would say that word, by the way, but who knows? It says Africa is starkly unvaccinated and starkly unvanquished by COVID, a point we've already made many times. But there's an interesting overlap with South Africa and Botswana that I wanted to reiterate that you guys are well familiar with. But first of all, just the realization that it's not just Africa, not just the African continent. There's plenty of other continents, actually, and countries that are dealing with similar things. Africa is, I'd argue, the most obvious as a continent picture, right? There's plenty of areas within the continent that are having different, you know, but most of the countries in Africa are dealing with this. I'll show you the stats in a minute. 
but specific on a country level, there's lots of countries out there that did something different, right? That went a different direction, like Sweden, who have different stats. And what you'll find very clearly is that almost exactly correlated with mRNA injection, you'll find excess death. What do you know? Must be a coincidence. But this is about how they're trying to hide this now in order to, I guess, repackage excess death. But the whole point is that there's no way to explain this other than lying. And that's what we're going to prove to you next with a great article from, I believe, Unheard. Unheard. Just really breaking this down and showing you blatantly like statins and the lies they're trying to push and then proving that couldn't possibly be the case. And they know that. Now, Africa as a whole is a very strikingly unvac is very strikingly unvaccinated, according to Johns Hopkins University and world in our world in data. <clears throat> the point. <sighs> OK, man, I don't know why this keeps happening. Sorry, you guys don't need to hear this. <laughs> I'm getting really frustrated with this highlighting tool. I really hope the rest of these aren't lost. I've, I highlight all these articles and there's an issue with the app as I go on to tell you anyway. All right. So <clears throat> point is I had all this highlighted, but we'll try to go through it again. Now it's saying that, well, I mean, you know what? Screw it. The whole point here is that Africa quite obviously is dramatically dealing with a far less severe everything in the context of COVID, despite the fact that they have the least injections and then, of, you know, continent wise than pretty much everywhere else. Right. I mean, there's no way to misunderstand that it's a correlation. Right. But as you get into this, you can look at a bunch of other locations. Here's Thailand. Here, Thailand. Here is Malaysia. Here's Uruguay. All of them look. And the point is, you can see when they started the mass vaccination and then you can see an explosion in the very problem. Previously, basically nothing. I mean, it's just, it, again, that's correlation. But how are you going to pretend in any way, shape, or form that this was working? Same thing here. I mean, it's explosion afterward. It will spike there, and then the real problem afterward. That's incredible. But we've been talking about this a long time, from a long time before all this. <clears throat> now, it says it's. Uh, it just so happens that two of the most effective treatments for COVID, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, they argue, were also routine prophylactics in the air in Africa, which is a good point. Just as one of the possible reasons. Now, but th see, this, off, this argues in, from an, a, a point of that this is essentially was something that was happening. Like, I still argue that this is more of an illusion than anything. This doesn't mean there wasn't something there, but I question that too. But I, there's plenty of other, like, for instance, speaking with Dr. McCullough recently, talking about how, how th th there's no way to explain then the kind of like micro clots and different things they were seeing in the beginning of all this that wouldn't align with flu or anything else. Could be something other than what they said. But his argument is it doesn't make sense that it would be nothing. But again, there's, there's, just, there's so much data out there. Come to your own conclusions about it. I'm really open to a lot of this stuff right now, and I think it's all still being fleshed out. But at the end of the day, even if there was something, you can still prove this was an aggressive illusion. Again, referencing Danny Rancourt's work, showing you that you could have, if you wanted to, you could have used pre-existing information, flu, pneumonia, PCR tests, so all this stuff to make it look like something happened, right? And again, it doesn't mean there wasn't something there. Just that the, the pandemic never actually took place. That's the argument. So when you talk about this and say that the ivermectin present, that then argues that it really did happen everywhere else, but this is just why they didn't have as serious of an effect. I, something that doesn't add up for me on that, but it's a good point. Anyway, the point here is to show you, well, first of all, this is the breakdown of the world as of today, showing you the reported cases around the world. 
Do you notice what location seems to be the least affected out of anywhere other than maybe like the Northern Hemisphere? Look at Africa. I mean, it is almost non-existent, guys. Especially since this is some of the locations that, like, okay, where did Omicron start, we're told? Isn't Omicron supposed to be the thing ripping through everybody else's countries? Explain for me how Omicron can start in Botswana, which nobody seems to argue anymore, which even though it did, then go to South Africa, then spread around the world. And yet, it somehow managed to go out of Africa and miss all the countries in Africa, but immediately hit Europe and South America and North America. Come on. I mean, certainly possible. There better be an explanation for it, but they don't seem to care about that. Let's get a little closer view, specifically in Africa. Look at this. Here's South Africa. Here's Botswana. You tell me that looks like two countries where the newest, biggest, dangerous thing started. Come on. I mean, it's just, there's so many examples to show you that at the very least, their narrative isn't true. So this is, again, just to to remind everybody that Botswana government put this out on the seven, it says a new virus was detected. They're speaking of whatever we're calling on, whatever Omicron is supposed to be. This was detected on four foreign nationals who entered Botswana on the 7th of November on a diplomatic mission. This is incredible, guys, because the point is nobody's ever just figured, nobody's ever cared other than independent media to ask who they were. What country did they come from? What were they like in what country did they have diplomatic status for? Because they realized that means they had diplomatic immunity. So when they crossed into Botswana and all four of them had Omicron, where'd they come from? Why weren't they? The point is something happened right there because the next argument is it all started in South Africa. But we know that's not true. And there's a weird effort to kind of muddy the waters on that. I truly believe this was the beginning of something. Self-spreading vaccine, whatever was added to all of this or who knows. But the bottom line is that does not make sense. Right. Then realize that they have some of the least vaccination of anywhere in the world. Then it starts to make a little more sense, doesn't it? So let's get into the excess death part about this. Here's the Daily Mail. Massive spike in excess death sparks calls for urgent investigation. Finally, they're and barely even now they're not doing that. You realize how long people have been pointing this out? Experts, researchers, statisticians are going, my God, we are higher than COVID right now. And they're like just plugging their ears, stomping their feet, going, well, it's not the vaccine. Well, okay, we weren't even saying that. Let's find out why. I mean, some people were. I mean, I I obviously am arguing that's certainly what we should consider. But think about how crazy that is. NIHS crisis is blamed. And this is the first point. So is it NHS that's causing that? Well, explain for me how then it could be happening in countries that NHS doesn't exist in then or places that have a completely different scenario, except the one thing they do share is a high level of mRNA vaccination. And guess what? They all seem the same. How interesting is that? <clears throat> well, it says Brits, then uh, it says 3,000, nearly 3,000 more British people dying every week than normal. And understand, guys, this is not COVID-19. That is the most important part. Every one of these discussions are now saying it's re- almost entirely ruling out COVID-19, if that's even what we're talking about. Now, it says this is the highest number of excess deaths since 3,429 in the week to February 12th, 2021. When the UK was experiencing its second wave of COVID-19 infections, which I completely argue was vaccination side effects by and large. That's my opinion. And I believe I've largely, a lot of us have largely proven that. The expose is a great job on that. Now it says, on that occasion, deaths involving coronavirus accounted for 37% of all those registered. Okay, so there you go, guys. There's no way around this. If we're talking about 63%, 
of all of these excess deaths de not being COVID, that all they're doing is running from the information because they don't want to address it. And they're being forced to deal with this now because people are screaming about it. Maybe they thought it wouldn't be as prominent. I don't know. But just ask yourself how it's even possible that these people who are moments ago arguing that we care about life and saving lives, ignoring what is now bigger than COVID ever was, if that was even what actually happened. Now it says down here, but in the most recent week, COVID-19 accounted for only 5%. So 95% of the excess death right now is not COVID related. Meaning their factors are likely to be driving the high level of mortality. So, they they really want to couch this with something they can blame as, you know, again, the earlier point. Even going as far as to blame the things that we earlier were saying were going to happen. That lockdowns were going to cause an explosion of other problems. And they go, fake news, dangerous conspiracy theory. And now they're going, oh yeah, that happened and that's why. So it's not because of the vaccine. Okay, well, that's interesting. So are you going to be accountable for what? No, no, no. This is different. It's They just won't have those two conversations. But the point is, that's not possible when you look at the full picture. This is a really great article from Unheard. Why are excess deaths still so high? This is from um, January 30th. Now, it says around the middle of last year, researchers in several countries started noticing something disturbing. Despite the fall in COVID deaths everywhere, if that's again, let's not let's not forget that this whole conversation was dictated. This is an illusion to begin with, and that's admitted to to what degree is up for you to decide. But when they willfully admit that they're conflating things that aren't actually like people that die from other causes, but have COVID on the the death certificate because they had a test within the week they were dying from cancer or so on. That goes down as a COVID death. And I'll make that actually here. I'll just read this right now. I'll read it again at the end because this is an important point. Professor Norman Fenton makes a very clear point, very concisely. And this is what I've been saying from the beginning of all this. And a lot of us have, as he says, definitions matter. The definition of what a vaccine is, a definition of herd immunity, definition of, of any of this stuff, definition of gain of function research, right? They're constantly re-evolving and changing these things. Here's what he says. How definitions influence perceptions of COVID lethality and vaccine safety and effectiveness. So here, his, these are really good examples. Fred, who has no COVID symptoms, Test positive in a P with a PCR test for work. He doesn't go on to develop any symptoms whatsoever. But 13 days later, it's criti critically injured in a car accident, dies two weeks after being taken to the hospital. Fred, right now, in almost every country in the world, would be classified as a COVID case, a COVID hospital admission, and then a COVID death. If you can't understand why that's a problem with what we're dealing with today, you don't want to. That is crazy, and that is provably what's happening all over the place. Jane, next example, gets a COVID vaccine and 13 days later tests PCR positive with, COVID, with, with symptomatic COVID. Jane is classified as an unvaccinated COVID case. Think about that. That's just one, this is one of the, cru the crux of many points I've made, that they play the game, and many Scotland, for example, does that with 21 days. So if, you, if Jane in Scotland, got a COVID injection, and then 20 days later got positive, that's an unvaccinated case. Even worse, if she dies within 20 days, that's an unvaccinated COVID death. Same point. This is provable, guys, and I've been making this clear from the very beginning, as many of us have. Peter gets a COVID vaccine, the last example, and dies the next day from an adverse reaction to it. 
And it look even crazier. Even if you could prove that it was because of that jab on a on the stats, it still goes down as an unvaccinated death. I mean, there's you could go off on variations in this forever. It's very important, and that is the game that's being played. So to bring it back to this, despite the fall in COVID deaths everywhere. So remember, the, the, even even the original spike or height of the deaths were questionable to their own admission. To what degree is is what you can discuss. Now it goes on to say, despite the fall in deaths, excess deaths were actually rising, which in that moment that was already happening. And yet nobody wanted to talk about it. They wanted to blame everything else without actually knowing. That's the crazy part about this is all these experts and scientists were out there screaming that this wasn't this, even though nobody could have known for sure. Shouldn't they care to find out just in case? Well, no, because they were more interested in preserving the vaccine narrative. It says, even more worryingly, a disproportionate number of those excess deaths were occurring in young people. Now, how do you explain that? There's even the lockdown argument, and we'll get through this more in this article showing you how there's no way this could be the same thing in all these countries. But why would it be focused on just young people specifically? Like, not only, but the height of that, it's very more, it's clearly slanted to young people. Now, what's what is the one thing they keep telling you is that it's myocarditis is focused on young, even though I don't think that's as extreme as they try to make it. There's a lot of overlaps with the problems we're seeing because of the injection, the people that are at least risk from COVID and seemingly have some of the highest risks from the injection, weirdly enough, have the highest excess death. What do you know? This was the opposite of what you would expect in the receding phase of the pandemic. One which had largely spared young people in the first place. Again, that's the crazy point. So it's the reverse of what was happening. Largely unaffected by this, then suddenly they start getting killed by excess death. It all gets categorized as SIDS and SADS and all these things that mean we don't know what's happening. Even though we admit or they have admitted that this can cause many of the things we're seeing. Some researchers, I mean, it's as stupid as saying we know that DeMar Hamlin, let's say, didn't have this problem. Because they just, I mean, before anyone knew the information, even though you've admitted that this can cause that. Like, think about the level of cognitive dissonance to shout that down before the evidence has been shown, even as you know it could be the case. That's just wild to me. Some researchers sounded the alarm, but were largely ignored by governments, public health authorities, and the mainstream media. It was a curious response from those who in the previous two and a half years had justified the complete upending of human societies on the basis of preserving life. And apparently it doesn't matter now. So clearly you can tell that preserving life was not the goal. Or at least not in at least not the main point, seeing as how now it's worse than before, but now they don't care. Throughout the second half of 2022, however, excess deaths have continued to rise at faster rates and have continued to do so in the first weeks of 2023. And it's only getting worse, it seems, to the point that the problem has become impossible to ignore. Ask yourself how they even tried to ignore that. I mean, really think about that. And again, same point. Do they care about preserving life if they even for a moment ignored? Again, this isn't questioning whether excess death is there. That did happen, too, in the beginning. They tried. This is just ignoring that it's happening because it doesn't fit a vaccine narrative. Or rather, a COVID narrative. These people, these are bad people. I don't care how you spin this. That's terrible. The BBC recently reported that more than 650,000 deaths were registered in the UK in 2022. That's 9% more than 2019 in a year when you're supposed to be saved by the injections, right? That's around 50,000 excess deaths, most of which have been concentrated in the second half of the year. 
weirdly perfectly aligned with the injections, the new ones. Since July, there have been an average of 1,300 additional deaths per week. Now, who was who the one that spoke up and said that this bivalent injection was going to be a time bomb? That was Gert Vandenbosch, highly regarded, highly credentialed expert who previously worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He came out and said, mark my words, and he said it before this too. But then once they pushed the bivalent, he said, this is going to be a time bomb. What are we seeing? Almost a perfect correlation with the mass use of that. And I understand only what 15, 20% of people got it, but we saw a complete spike because this thing caused something more dangerous. And now that's the only thing they're giving people. Does that make sense, right? Excluding the pandemic, this represents the highest excess death levels in 70 years. And only a fraction of these deaths are attributed to COVID. And of course, when you see those numbers, what do you do? Well, you double down, right? <laughs> you, you set uh, excess death they haven't seen in 70 years, not COVID. But let's give more injections because clearly that's the answer. I mean, how do you even make sense of that? If it's not COVID, why is the argument more injections? Because that's what's happening. Figures from the Office of National Statistics show that excess deaths were almost 3,000 higher than normal in the second week of January alone. Guys, I mean, any other circumstance, this would have been like screeching, stop the stop the record. Everything needs to, I mean, this is like hold the phone. Everything stops. This is outrageous. I don't think we've ever even seen something this crazy and this like statistically significant. It's like such a sharp increase so quickly. Any other context that they wanted to, this would be the nonstop talking point for the next year. More than 20% above the average. COVID-19 accounted for just 5% of the total. The week before, overall deaths were 30% higher than expected. Imagine ignoring all of this. If we break the numbers down by age groups, the results are even more surprising. While excess deaths in most age groups, even if above average, tend to be lower than they were in 2020 and 2021, as you would expect, there's one outlier. People between the age of 0 and 24 registered lower than average death rates in 2020 and 2021. However, throughout 2022, they've been dying at higher rates than expected. I mean, there's just no way you make sense of this outside of what they did is hurting people. In other words, more young people are dying today in Britain than before or even during the pandemic. But it's all about saving the children, right? And that we don't know why, but I, I think we all seek, I think we know why. And I'm not saying I can, that I know, like my opinion is very clear. I've made that clear, but I don't think we know and could prove for sure what the entirety is. I definitely think there are other factors that play some percentage. Let's say it's 0.5%, right? That let's say the lockdowns did have an increased effect on these things, blah, blah, blah. That's, of course you could, you can't disagree with that. That's as dumb as them disagreeing with the injections having an effect. They do play a factor. The question is to what degree? I think it's quite obvious that they're ignoring the biggest elephant in the room. He says, and yet, despite this stark discrepancy, there has been a notable lack of public acknowledgement of the non-COVID mortality crisis. I wonder why. Let alone any meaningful explanation for what's driving it. Like, this is when they just don't talk about it because they hope we don't notice, which shows you that they don't care that people are being hurt. Health experts say the causes could include anything from ambulance delays, long waits in an ambulance and in the emergency room, and major blockages for routine NHS care to high flu rates, long COVID, or whatever else. Why don't you list off every else, every other thing possible in the vaccine and say it's probably all of that combined? <laughs> Who can disagree with that? Right? I mean, the idea that, except you just leave out the most obvious culprit. This is my point. 
ambulance delays, of course, to some degree, some mathematical percentage had, of course, it had an effect. Are we really going to pretend that the highest excess death almost in history seems to be related around ambulance delays, NHS? Well, none of that aligns with plenty of other countries dealing with the same thing. High flu rates, long COVID. These are guesses, guys. They are guessing against the facts. Breakdown of the NHS is largely to blame, the say in the UK. But there's a hole in this argument, of course. Excess deaths are a problem in a number of other income, high-income countries where the NHS is the NHS is broken argument doesn't hold because there is no NHS. And the fact that plenty of these places aren't dealing with the same problems. So it's interesting that they'll be willing to argue that is what's happening and ignore the fact that it doesn't align with the other countries right across the border that aren't dealing with the same thing. Or dealing with the same thing, but not the same problem or justification, excuse me. Despite relatively low COVID death rates, overall excess deaths in all, all age groups in Europe in 2022 were as high as in 2020 and higher than 2021. Even in the oldest cohorts, nobody, I mean, the base bottom line is everybody that's supposed to be protecting is ultimately being hurt by whatever this is. And I think I, you, I, you know what my opinion is. The very people that are supposed to be protected, the old people, the children, are the ones being hurt. In short, a significant number of Western countries are experiencing a surge in excess deaths across all age groups. Each country seems to have its own theory, though, none of which have anything to do with the NHS. In Portugal, for example, December saw excess deaths, which beat all records of the previous 13 years, including the peak of COVID-19, which is what I keep saying, which the press attributes to an aging population, of course, and the resurgence of other respiratory viruses alongside the summer heat and waves, whatever, right? So heat waves and aging population, because that's never happened before, right? I mean, think about what a ridiculous argument that is. The highest excess death in 13 years, higher than what was supposed to be the biggest pandemic in our lifetimes, and it's because old people? Hot weather? I think about what it takes to make that kind of an argument in the face of what we see. There's plenty of science that argues these things have an effect, the injections, or that they're killing people, so they must know about it. Doesn't even mention it. In France and Spain, the summer heat waves are also seen as a clear cause of excess deaths. We've already seen them try to play this game in many places that aren't actually that much hotter than ever, or in, in, than even than normal, I should say. Waves, while in Chile, one additional cause of the surge in mortality was seen as deaths avoided during the pandemic owing to a lower risk of certain events traffic accidents injuries at work all of these are guesses you are literally guessing into anything that can add numbers to this while ignoring the most obvious where countries share one phenomenon in this case excess deaths and attribute it to different causes it is reasonable to ask some questions the problem today seems to be that our public health experts just simply not asking the right ones, if any. At the end of last month, for instance, the UK chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, suggested that a lack of access to statins, we talked about this, during the pandemic, despite that being a whole conversation of itself, whether they're even safe and effective, he argued that lack of access to this one thing may have caused an upsurge in coronary heart disease, which is what most of them have grappled, have grabbed onto and are arguing that's most likely why saying it's been the main driver of excess deaths. People did not attend medical services as much as usual, and the shortfall was having devastating consequences, we're told. However, somebody steps in with facts and logic and says, Carl, Carl Hedigan says, oh, and Tom Jeffers, Jefferson points out 
that it takes roughly five years for statins to have a notable impact on mortality reduction. So reduced medication since 2020 simply cannot have had that outcome. But they don't care about facts, you see. It's about just shoehorning in whatever they can. And you know what the real point is? That shows you that Chris Whitty was grabbing on to whatever he could use to argue against what he doesn't want you to talk about. Even though, it, I mean, clearly he didn't do his due diligence or he didn't care because that's not even possible. But they sure as hell argued that in front of everybody. One potential explanation is the impact of lockdowns on people's physical health. So this is one of the things they're arguing here and they're arguing a lot of different things, which again, are certainly part of it, guys. We can't be like them and dismiss that and say no, but it's not the culprit. Clearly, these did have effects. We know they did, just like we argued in the beginning and they said it was fake news then. But it says there is one possible explanation that has to be considered, and at least as a contributing factor for the rise in non-COVID excess deaths, the role of vaccines, in particular those from Pfizer and Moderna that use mRNA technology. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are associated with a higher risk of developing myocarditis. Just casually state, because it's the truth, and we know that. But even that statement gets pushed back from plenty of people, and I'll show you in a minute. And other serious adverse events, which they mention again as blood clots. It's totally safe and effective, though. Even if that is a small percentage, the fact that they force these on children or anybody is mind-blowing. This is confirmed, or ever for that matter, this is confirmed by a number of studies. It's a great article, guys. They list them off here, 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 and here. Even by the CDC's own data here. All of those are showing you what we keep telling you. Myocarditis risk, blood clots, and the problems they're pretending aren't there. A number of studies, such as a recent analysis by Martin Neal, professor of computer science and statistics at Queen Mary University in London, and Norman Fenton, who we just referenced, a mathematician and leading expert on risk assessment and statistics, do show a statistically significant correlation between vaccination rates and excess mortality. So you've got multiple experts from multiple different locations arguing that you show a statistically significant correlation between these things being given and the excess mortality they don't want you to think is connected. So are we, is that the scientific community? No, 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 they're not because they said the wrong thing. Are they experts anymore? Nope, nope, they're conspiracy theorists. That's how that works. Except they are experts and they are doing valid, measured research and showing you that this is connected. It says, it seems unwise to rule out the vaccines. Yeah, as a contributing factor without proper investigation. That's, that's the understatement of, the de- of the, my lifetime. It seems unwise to rule out this as a factor without investigation. I mean, what, what a statement. Why is that even, of course, anything would apply. It's stupid to rule out anything without investigation. It's just funny how the conversation is today. The point is that we simply don't know. And I would agree with that. I mean, I would argue it's impossible to say, I would say we know for sure that it's causing some, it's having some effect. We know that because it's been admitted to. Yes, it can cause myocarditis. Okay, so when we see heart problems, we know that it's having some effect. To what degree is the debate? But you see, we're not even allowed to make that point. They say, no, it's not. You're wrong. Fake news. We know DeMar Hamlin wasn't because we know, you know, it's the whole game. But it says we don't have enough data to establish or disprove a link, which I disagree with that. 100%. There's numerous studies that show you very clearly that there is a link between these two things. I mean, what's interesting is they literally just listed off these studies that, are, as he says, this is confirmed that they can cause these things like myocarditis. But then down here says, as we know, we don't have enough data. Oh, I guess what he's ultimately saying is specifically the vaccines and the excess death, which I, you could argue that. I just I disagree. I think there's plenty enough evidence to cause to show that connection. Ultimately, the cause of the excess deaths are probably varied, which I agree with, and involve a combination of factors, which I agree with. It's about percentages. 
I think it's very obvious that the percentage is aggressively slanted towards what we're talking about today. But we shall never know for sure if we don't start asking these uncomfortable questions, which is exactly what they're not doing, especially when our politicians and public health experts seem reluctant to do so. You're damn right. Because they're choosing to hide from this. I mean, this is quasi, this is essentially mainstream discussion, guys. Look at how far this has broken through. Now here, Jeffrey Jackson points out, just to show you how much you've had an effect, that you are saving people's lives by, by exposing the information and fighting for the truth and being objective. As Jeffrey points out, it's over. The article from Mirror discusses, it's weird, I think universal COVID jabs is like a program. I found it to be strange because they're working on universal injections for covid that involve all sorts of different variate variants and coronaviruses so it's almost like they want to conflate those things so i don't know that's just my thought but this is a program as i understand it and it's saying take up rates have plummeted this is the new bivalent injection since then as to as to as low as less than 0.1 per percent per week all the way since april 2022 they are lying about that right now in all eligible people Bottom line, almost literally nobody at this point, 0.1%. And they are screaming about this. My brother actually just sent me a commercial that I wasn't going to play. Just so stupid. Now, test it, beat it, treat it. Like he's still dancing around people screaming about going out. No mention of the side effects. No mention of anything. No informed consent. No, none of that. Go get it. Yay. Safe and effective. Not No mention of the problems with the new injections. No mention that there's no human trial. None of that. Because they're in the middle of a massive psychological operation, guys. This is a military operation, as it always has been. Operation Warp Speed from the very beginning. But nobody's doing this now. You're not alone. Everybody sees this, guys. Even the people on their side. People are just afraid to speak up about this. At the very least, they're worried that they might be wrong, so they're not taking it. Very clear. Here, you'll see that a growing number of doctors are now continuing to speak out. They won't even get the shots themselves. You can read it for yourself. We've been mentioning this for a long time. Here is Scott Jensen. Another example of somebody from very early in this, from the very, very beginning of this conversation, who simply spoke up and made a very valid point that there is monetary incentives. And let's be clear, outside of COVID-19, there are monetary incentives to do things certain ways. Now, it's not seen as a problem when you discuss it like that. Well, you know, they they do this X certain kind of treatment. Well, they get reimbursed for it. Okay. Well, when you find yourself in a situation where there is clearly funding and manipulation going into this, and you know that doctors are being, okay, well, if you if you put COVID on this list, on the death certificate, on this treatment, then you make the the you the hospital gets more money for it. Now you and they, they're not arguing that's dishonest. They're simply going, well, we deserve more money because we're doing more treatment. My point is, you cannot ignore that by doing so, you then incentivize people to to put COVID on a list when it might not otherwise be necessary. This is why we saw the underlying condition code change, where suddenly, if it was the underlying cause, if it was COVID, they flipped it to being the leading cause. That's just simply dishonest. I'm sure they had a narrative for why that made sense. It never did. It was manipulative. So here is somebody, Scott Jensen, who spoke up and made this clear, and he was proven to be right. I mean, I, I don't think I was going to get into it today. Is that it? Yeah. No, I mean, I'll just point that right here. I'll include this. Th- this is one of these doctors speaking about how you make these, you make these, you know, that basically if you do this kind of treatment, you get this much money. Now, this is not supposed to be contentious. This is what, they, this is insurance and hospitals. But my point is the same, that if that's there, there's a no brainer that you will lean one way or the other. Look, dishonest people will do it anyway. 
But I argue there are lines where people don't feel they're being dishonest, where doctors are going, okay, well, I don't have to do this treatment, right? Protocol suggests that I no, don't necessarily have to, but I might want to. And if we do, we get more money for it or the other way around where they might go, okay, well, I, sh I don't have to do this. So I won't because of X, Y, and Z. And that, that's, that influences it. And you know that it does. But here is just this breakdown. This is coming from chc.s.org, which is a center for healthcare strategies, which you can review for yourself. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They're talking about mo uh, motivate physicians to provide services, outreach to assigned members, uh, increase physician reimbursements. Beyond The point is they're, just, they're showing you this and saying, if you do these things, you get more reimbursements. I mean, it's very, very, very clear. Back to the point. He spoke up early and said, this is happening. That's a problem. And he got, he's still being attacked for this. Just, I'll let you watch the video for yourself. It says, now they are using Keith Ellison and the attorney general's office to take away his medical license for being right. Understand how crazy that is because he, it's verifiable that he was right. And that is still what they point at. He's lost almost everything. So tell me again why it's profitable for people to speak up and tell the truth. Now, sure, it can be. But for most people doing this, they've lost everything for it. That's why you should support him. Regardless of whatever you think politics, left or right, the point is that he deserves your support because he was right. He stood up for you and lost everything for it. Dealing with medical board complaints. Two and a half years ago, I sat at the same desk. Two and a half years ago. And I came before you, not for me, but for you. And I said, if they can do it to me, they can do it to you. Right. You watch the whole thing for yourself. It's worth watching. It's 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 frustrating that this is even happening. Here is another uh, another. This is an MIT professor. I believe it's for management. Uh, calls for an immediate stop to the COVID mRNA vaccination program. This the point is there are people all across in corporate fields and mainstream media in in scientists and doctors and professors and all around the world who are going to get pushback for this. Speaking up and telling you what they think. I just don't know how anybody can still pretend this is just a bunch of conspiracy theorists or that all of these wildly educated people are all somehow tricked by some guy in his mother's basement or however they can. You can't play it both ways. You can't pretend like we're a bunch of, you know, working class, low educated people that are just getting lucky and then argue we're somehow also influencing all of the educated people. You know, it's, it's obviously a lie. So here he is telling you, this is the clearly, and I agree, the most failing medical product in the history of medical products. And he mentioned something about myocarditis in that direction, which I think is relevant. My name is Retzef Levy, and since 2006, I'm a faculty member at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I have more than 30 years of experience as a practitioner and an academic in using data and analytics to assess and manage risk, particularly in the context of health systems health policies, as well as the management of safety and quality of manufacturing of biologic drugs. I'm filming this video to share my strong conviction that at this point in time, all COVID mRNA vaccination program should stop immediately. They should stop because they completely failed to fulfill any of their advertised promise regarding efficacy. And more importantly, they should stop because of the mounting and indisputable evidence that they cause unprecedented level of harm 
including the death of young people and children. I personally became concerned with the vaccine safety around middle of 2021, when it became known that the mRNA vaccines cause myocarditis and go. inflammation of the heart. Since myocarditis is known to be hard to diagnose because it often has vague symptoms or can even be subclinical with no symptoms. That's super important for the athlete discussion as Peter McCullough and plenty of others have made clear the adrenaline and, or even just pre-existing things they don't know they had. All of these lead to the, the, ex, the ex exacerbation of a problem or the creation of something they don't catch. And that goes down as some unexplainable death. It's also known to be freak, a frequent cause of out of the hospital sudden cardiac arrest, especially among young people. I was very concerned that it will not be detected by the existing vaccine safety surveillance systems. Motivated by that, we decided to analyze the Israel national EMS data to see if there are any signals of increased out of the hospital adverse events. The analysis of the EMS calls and diagnosis data from 2019 throughout the first half of 2021 revealed some very concerning signals. Now think about this in the context, I'll show you the study again, of the Pfizer study, right? Where, where they basically just reviewed the phase three trial of Pfizer. I don't, see, this, these are the certain points like this that I just don't understand, even in the independent media, why they don't become so much more prominent. That is like the end of the story. They've reevaluated Pfizer's phase three trial and we're like, this is wildly damning. It's 36% more risky. It came out to something like one in 800 of, of the risk of serious adverse events. So they lied to us with their own study and the government and the FDA and the CDC either didn't check it or didn't care. I mean, it's just mind blowing. I'll show you in a moment. So what he's saying is the same thing. They reviewed the, the, the data that's supposed to be there for the government to be able to check this stuff. And it's like, and it's damning. It's crazy. No one's doing anything about it. We detected an increase of 25% wow. in the calls with cardiac arrest diagnosis. Actually, hold on one second. I believe this is this might be one of the studies that I've actually referenced before. Let me see. Yeah, this is interesting. I, I didn't know this was the same study that I thought this was more. Yeah, interesting. So here's the study we're talking about, actually, or at least the, the, the article discussing it. New study links COVID vaccines to 25% increase in cardiac arrest for both males and females. I'll include that over here once we get to the myocarditis conversation. All right, back to the video ages 16 to 39 in the first half of 2021, exactly when the vaccination campaign in Israel was launched. A smaller increase was also detected in the older ages. Moreover, we also detected a statistically significant temporal correlation between the number of the Pfizer vaccine doses administered to this, to this population and the number of EMS calls with cardiac arrest diagnosis. Interestingly, we did not find any statistically significant correlation with the number of COVID-19 infections during this period of time. While this is not a proof of causal relationship, it, less, it left us... Don't miss that obvious point there, right? So the clear point there, that they, this is what the, kind of the crux of the next point is that it's not seen in correlation with COVID-19 infection, but it is with the injections. 
right? Then there's numerous studies that find that. And yes, there are studies that seem to suggest the other, but that you will find very clear differences, you know, random controlled trial versus not peer reviewed versus not. And so on the same things they try to say when, when we talk about other studies, the point is it's very clear that the body of work is, is finding more and more that there seems to be no correlation between infection and myo and pericarditis. Just, just, and, and they, I, I would be willing to argue that it's by and large because of the overlap, especially today where people get an infection, they're told anyway, with a PCR test and then get some kind of problem and then only associate it with that infection, despite having four shots in their body. Right. I mean, they don't even consider it just like we were just talking about. Very concerned, especially given the known suspect uh, clinical mechanism. And we called for an immediate thorough investigation by the Israeli Ministry of Health to investigate what are the underlying causal mechanisms of this observed increase uh, increase in the cardiac arrest calls. Unfortunately, to the best of my knowledge, such thorough investigation was never conducted. By now, I believe that the cumulative evidence is conclusive and confirms our concern that the mRNA vaccines indeed cause sudden cardiac arrest as a sequel of vaccine-induced myocarditis. And this is potentially only one mechanism by which they cause harm. That is a huge statement. That is collapsing athletes in a nutshell, right there. That's what he's talking about. And this is what we already know, by the way. Remember that we showed you the, the study from before COVID-19, NIH Public uh, National Library of Medicine, saying very clearly that myocarditis was a leading cause of sudden death in athletes. Right? So if we know that's the connection between myocarditis and sudden death, and we know that they've admitted to myocarditis being caused by the injection, why is it so difficult for people to at least consider that the injection is causing collapsing athletes? Because they don't want to. All of the data has already been there. Data from UK, Scotland, and Australia replicate the data from Israel. Additional data from Israel indicates that in 2021, the EMS in Israel conducted more than 3,000 more resuscitations compared to 2019, which amounts for an increase of 27%. Two prospective studies from Thailand and Switzerland in which vaccinees were tested before and after they received the vaccine, indicate that the rates of heart damage are likely to be significantly higher than the rates detected by clinical diagnosis. This is exactly the same uh, finding that the the U.S. military found in 2015 when it conducted a similar study on the smallpox vaccine. Another study from the Harvard Medical School detected in the blood of children with vaccine-induced myocarditis an entire spike, which is another indication of the underlying mechanism of harm, but in fact has even broader implications about the safety of the vaccine, given that the repeated evidence that we have that the mRNA and the lipids are actually penetrating the blood system. Right. I mean, guys, this is not even up for debate anymore. All of this is provable. It's just amazing how the corporate narrative can be so disconnected from verifiable fact. And he's just stating that because it's there. It's the same peer-reviewed science we've been pointing at. 
And finally, autopsies of people that died close, closely after they received the vaccine indicates that in a large number of cases, there is strong evidence that the death was caused by vaccine-induced myocarditis. Right. So presented with all of this evidence, I think that there is no other ethical or scientific choice but to pull out of the market these medical products and stop all the mRNA vaccination programs. This is clearly the most failing medical product in the history of medical products, both in terms of efficacy and safety. And we need to investigate and think hard, how did we end up in a situation that it's also the most profitable medical product in the history of medical products? Hmm. Thank you for your attention. Well, that's a pretty obvious point he's making right there, right? It just so happens to be the most profitable in history and also just so happens to be, I mean, it's, it's, it's just insulting to our intelligence, guys. And I want to reiterate this point again. I just grabbed this just now. I wasn't planning on going over it again, but just to show you the article, we just discussed this back on August 2022. Don't forget, this is Ralph, Ralph Barrett from North Carolina University you're looking at there for the podcast. It's just his picture you're discussing U.S.-funded research on coronavirus-induced myocarditis, right? Now, the reason I find that so important is not to argue that it's like the argument being not that Corona, like the COVID-19, whatever we're talking about that as is in fact causing this. Cause I'm going to show you next that at the very least, there is some peer reviewed science that argues there's no correlation. That's not to say that I'm saying it can't. I'm just showing you what some peer reviewed science has to say. The point that I argue is this is far more likely in my mind. A, if, we, if you truly understand these programs and what they do, this is bioweapons research. Just what is dual purpose at the very least. That's what their own documents say. The bottom line is this is about making something that can turn whatever a coronavirus into a weapon. And that's what are we talking about. We're talking about spike proteins. We're talking about using that to create some kind of an outcome. Now, you could argue that that's antibodies, safety, efficacy, whatever. Or you could argue it's about creating something that's being tested about creating myocarditis in people. Or maybe that went awry. Maybe who knows? I just can't get past how incredible it is that the very people included in the discussion of North Carolina, Wuhan Institute of Virology, Equal Health Alliance, Ralph Barrick himself is working on numerous examples of coronavirus-induced myocarditis and jumped to today, and suddenly we're watching this exact kind of thing play out. I mean, I don't know how much we can see without asking questions these days. Blows my mind. But just in case you wanted to see it, I'll grab it really quickly. So you guys can see the uh, the actual post. I had to find it real quick. Hold on. I wasn't planning on grabbing this. Oh, here it is down here. This is important to see. Just so, you know, for those ready and able or re- willing to just dismiss everything, you can see that. So this is a whole breakdown of the personal information. And you can see that we're talking about these same people. Uh, where was it? Anyway, just North Carolina University, same people. Here is... Many examples of coronavirus-induced rabbit cardiomyopathy, coronavirus-induced myocarditis, right? I mean, there, there's a name right there, Ralph Barrick. $30,000 for, or not $100,000 for a couple years of research to find out if we can use coronaviruses to give people myocarditis, because that sounds like something helping people, right? So the point is, guys, if we're what, what he just described there about literally this, uh, this raging myocarditis and heart problem stuff that they're choosing to ignore while profiting wildly, it's kind of hard not to consider whether this is playing a factor. Just a thought to consider. Watch the show for yourself. Now here, 
is the cognitive dissonance on full display, or at least a propagandist doing what they're told. This is going to blow your mind. I mean, this is just incredible to me. Now, as fully vaccinated MSNBC host Yasmin Vassal, whatever her last name is, gets myocarditis, publicly discusses it, and blames it on a cold. Imagine pretending this was caused by a cold when they don't know. That's the main point, truly. Is they, this is, they, don't, they haven't proven this, just like with the infection, vaccine or whatever else. The point is that this assumption, since that was so common before, understand, because you know how often we talked about common colds causing myocarditis, despite having four shots in your body that they've admitted can cause myocarditis. Imagine that logic. Now, my point, as many people assuming in the chat would jump, is, is not that this can't be caused by that, because I've been very clear about this. Historically speaking, there's lots of research, not to say that means it's the case, but lots of research around the concept of viruses in general and kind of just colloquially in the conversation cold or the variations of whatever we call the common cold being potentially a part of that. And it's pretty flimsy, but you could argue that there is an overlap of that and then causing something we call myocarditis. But is that because of that or because of what we were blaming it on then? Then it was really the flu vaccine or, you know, just hypothetically speaking, we should question a lot of this stuff today. But can the common cold historically, as we understand it, cause things like, well, that's arguably the case. Same with the flu and whatever else. But my point is not that that's not possible. But rather, you have a woman who has four shots of something that we're proving you with using peer-reviewed science is not just a casual possibility, but a dramatic increased risk. 1-800? 1 in 10,000 was a CDC study, guys. That's dramatically higher than anything we've ever argued was possible because of a common cold. So imagine this stance with all that information. Here's what she had to say. I've been dealing with a little bit of a health scare. On December 20th, I began to feel chest pains and they waxed and waned over a period of 10 days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. Oh, you gotta love the Western medical establishment. So did they know she had reflux? Did they test or did they just guess at her symptoms and send her home? I think you know what happened because myocarditis is not reflux. And so they, yeah, you got, you got some acid re that's, that's, that is, uh, that acid reflux. What they call heart, uh, what would they call it? Um, what about the other name for that? Heart, uh, heartburn, heartburn. That's what we're talking about. Heartburn, acid reflux. So she literally goes in with actual myocarditis and they say she has heartburn. I mean, just think about how dumb that is. Like, what type of medical establishment is not going... Like, if you come in with your heart and your chest hurting, shouldn't you make sure? I mean, I, I, I genuinely want to ask whether it's ever been better than that or if it's just gotten this bad because they're so desperate to not point at vaccine problems. I don't know. But think about how crazy that is and then ask yourself, I mean, that it's not very surprising to see that that's a lead, the medical treatment in this country is a leading cause of death. Kind of makes sense. I didn't really buy it, but I was relieved it wasn't my heart. Uh, my body, though, was it pretty was. certain uh, not to believe uh, the reflux. The next day, on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains, both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest. When I took deep breaths, that got worse when I was laying flat. I knew if you had just gotten the vaccine, they would just tell you that's how you know it's working. Go home. You're good. That's how you know it's working. Enough at that moment to understand that it could mean could is the key word here that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. 
I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. I drink occasionally. Not right now, though, because my doctor tells me I can't. Aside from probably not getting enough sleep and working too much, I'm a pretty healthy person. But on that day, I was anything but. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart. Now realize that the whole argument of the COVID overlap is, you know, obesity, illness, comorbidities, right? Let's not forget, that applies to the same conversation. So does it make sense, really, that a very fit, at least as she, as she claims, act, athletic person would get a common cold and then just get myocarditis? I mean, anything's possible, sure. But aren't there supposed to be some kind of logical overlaps here? Shouldn't it be people that are more, yes, just like with COVID, the same thing they argue. Me again. Meanwhile, she literally has four shots in her body that had they argue can cause this problem. And this is where you go. Brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. On January 4th, I was finally discharged after doctors drained the fluid around my heart, and I bounced out of the hospital. I couldn't get out of there fast enough with the <laughs> hopes I was on the mend. But that was not the end. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation of the actual heart now, the heart muscle. <laughs> I remember being shepherded through the emergency room and wondering, is this it? It wasn't, thank God. Instead, I spent five more days in the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, adjusted my meds, and made sure nothing else was fueling what was happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this, that had caused all of this inflammation in and around my heart. Oh, so it wasn't heartburn. <laughs> okay, got it. Just want to be sure about that. Heartburn, you're good. I mean, gosh darn it, this is so stupid to me. Really? Right. I mean, I'm, I look, certainly could be like right now, if you want to look, take take a minute and research it. You'll find discussions about how cold or rather just the, you know, there are some specifically discussions around the common cold and potential overlap, like going back to like 2018 and before. I mean, you could argue that there's prepping and so on. But, you know, the point is, it's obvious to see there's a body of work before all of this that argues that viruses and generals, these kind of things, respiratory things can have this kind of overlap. But it's. It's not prominent, definitely not one in 10,000, definitely not one in 800, definitely not four times that shot. Like you take these shots, that continues to compound just like we keep showing you. Not even a mention. She's convinced, or at least she tells us that. I mean, again, imagine pretending this was caused by a cold since it was so common before, despite having four shots in your body, they've admitted can cause myocarditis. Shouldn't it even be considered? Shouldn't it be considered? I mean, so, and so this is the interesting part about this conversation. This is the kind of back and forth we deal with. At, even at this point right now, Scary Larry says, imagine blaming it on the vaccine when the risks of myocarditis from getting COVID are much higher. Who's the they that admitted this? And see, that's kind of what I was saying before is that, you know, this is what I forget how I even used it in there. Right, right. They, uh, the medical establishment, <laughs> right? Like the, these people have such an interesting perception of what they think we are that it's so, what do you think I mean by they? That they've admitted the science, 
for the research, the, the peer-reviewed science, the people conducting the science. It's so funny. I, you know, I don't even know what you would think I might have meant in that concept. Anyway, it's, it's funny. But the point is, you're a conspiracy theorist and you're wrong, right? And I said, yes, there are other studies because there are. And I have discussed those studies as well, but this is a peer-reviewed. And you could see it right there. And the study says, as you've seen many times, large population-based study based out of Jerusalem, by the way, which is, and this is what I think uh, Boston and plenty of others have said, this is easily the most, and if not the only study that truly, it's a large study that's done in a large population that's done in the right ways. There's plenty of other quick, small, small population, small location things that don't really get to the crux of the point. And I'll show you far more than just this, but this is April 15th, 2022. Again, post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. Pretty simple. No, yeah, it's just one study, though. But it is peer-reviewed. So to act like it doesn't exist is pretty stupid for people telling you to trust the science. So I post that, just to make it clear, and then include that the danger of COVID is and always was less than the flu. So then consider the false comparison, right? Because the argument is, ultimately, that you get it, one, that there is no association, First of all, between COVID, according to this peer-reviewed study, between COVID and myocarditis, but that the argument is always that, well, you have a higher risk, but that's not the case, right? Because first of all, whether the less than the flu risk in general, understand the false argument here. For those that haven't heard me say this, you get the injections in your body, the risk that they claim is there, it's much higher than they claim, is immediately present, right? The shot goes in your arm, you immediately have that increased risk of myocarditis. Whether or not you have a one in a million chance of dying from COVID or whatever else. That's the children under 19 was now it's 0.0003%. But if you get whatever they call COVID, well, the point being you have to get COVID first to then get that risk that they say is there, but arguably is not based on other science. But the point is there's not this, that's not, that's a false comparison. It's very low that you'll die from this, first of all, but also that you'll get sick from this. Realize that there is a small percentage of population. The bottom line is the risk is not the same, even if everything they say is true, and they just keep pushing it in. But here's the study I'm pointing out here, which you've also seen, by the way. Uh, this one, I believe. Oh, wait, where was it? Age stratified risk. And you've seen this as well. I've shown it many times. And right here, at a global level, Pre-vaccination, so before this ever, anybody got injections, infection fatality rate may have been as low as 0.03 under 59 and 0.07 under 69. People under 19, 0.0003%. So dramatically less than the flu, that's not even funny. And this is the Ioannidis group. Pretty damn clear. They're just making that as clear as possible for people. Now, here's another discussion. And a point on that is that people just, just don't respond. Now, they, plenty of people will engage with everybody else and comment and so on. But the bottom line is this does not, that seems at the very least to challenge the argument. This, this is the one I found most interesting. In response to this guy, actually here he responded saying, more likely? Really? Based on what? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting I forgot it. there's more on this. Okay, so back to the, there is a point to this. Trust me, I'm just trying to show you guys how this argument is being had. He says, imagine blaming on the vaccine. And I said, imagine stating someone was blaming this on the vaccine when that never happened, because I didn't say that. You expose your subjective efforts by always assuming what you think others' opinions are based on politics. I merely pointed out how absurd it is to blame a cold when the other is more likely, which is all I did. 
Now, my opinions are clear, but not in that tweet. And I wasn't even trying to push them on that tweet, making a clear point. And he says, more likely, really, based on what? I said, are you suggesting that the common cold is more likely to cause myocarditis than the injection that is admitted to cause myocarditis? To which he didn't respond because you, you can't because it's obvious that's not true. Their stated discussion is st- even what they claim the risk is, is still higher than what it was before in regard to cold and so on. This person steps in and says, you mean a common cold that has for a fact contributed to causing myocarditis? Again, assuming that I'm arguing it couldn't happen. I said, interesting how emotional you are because he calls me a moron conservative buddies, right? Because of course, because I'm a conservative, right? I said, I merely asked a question and the point you seemingly chose to miss was that I asked if it was if it was suggesting it was more likely that you immediately assumed I was implying that a cold never played a factor is the point. And these kind of people who are so completely full of their own false certainty are not able to consider that they have already decided what your argument is before you even make it. And I said, and he just responded laughing saying, get this is should make you laugh just because you can construct a sentence. Doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. Okay. I guess it's a fair argument. And you're right. I am emotional because I spent a week in the hospital over 10 years ago with myocarditis. Where's my excuse? Where was my COVID? What? Like, this is the logical argument. I mean, this is ridiculous. No matter what anyone says, you've already made your mind up. (laughs) Okay. Apparently I have. You're uneducated and brainwashed because he knows me. You just can speak in complete sentences and we're supposed to believe you know what you're saying. Truth is all truth is all you do is walk around the same talking points your buddies do. Oh, the conservative buddies that apparently I take all my talking points from. So you get the point here, guys. This is an impossible argument. People have already decided what they think you're saying, and they almost don't even engage with the comments. So the question is about two points. One, the point is that this is important to realize that the most obvious point And it's not just these few people. You guys see this. It's everywhere. The most obvious point about the injections, the myocarditis risk, is still being shouted down by people despite the provable evidence. I simply just said, thank you for so clearly making my point. Which then he went on to block and delete all of his tweets. (laughs) Which just shows you what we're talking about. Blocked me, but then deleted the tweets themselves. So now there's no record of this conversation. I'm sure he's out there arguing the same points against other people, even though basically just decided to delete it because he couldn't say anything. It's just really interesting, isn't it? So there's no point in even trying to shout against people on these controlled platforms. But how do we reach the average person when the information is so aggressively contorted? Will you use stuff like this? Don't try to shout people down in an argument where it's clear that people aren't trying to hear it. Catalog the information like these studies and don't even try to say this proves anything. Just put it in front of them. Here's a peer-reviewed study. And today, especially, they're going to say, are you trying to say? No, I didn't try to say anything. I just hear the study. You guys argue peer-reviewed science matters. Here's peer-reviewed science. If the argument then goes forward that that's not a good one, well, they're not someone you should talk to because you don't just get to dismiss the science you don't like and choose the ones you do. All of us should be objectively considering all of it, including the ones that come from the CDC and ones that aren't as well done and consider what they're saying and weigh the evidence. This one is the same, that there is no association. But it's not the only one. There are others that say something similar. But let's go through the body of work that you might want to show people in this regard. First of all, again, that this is less than the flu. I think it's very important. Now, here is one that somebody shared in that same conversation. 2022, January. Myocarditis cases reported after mRNA-based COVID vaccination. It says, based on passive surveillance. So it's, again, nowhere near the kind of levels the other one. 
is peer reviewed, but it's it's just it's just passive observation of surveillance. So factor that in. It says the risk of myocarditis after receiving COVID-19 mRNA injections was increased across multiple age and sex strata and was highest after the second injection in adolescent males and young men. The risk should be considered in the context of, but of course it's not. The point is that's exactly what we're finding almost everywhere else. Here's another important one, by the way. This is from Circulation, AHA Journals. Now this one is, this is one that I already talked about, and this is one that's pointed at as proving what they're, what the other side is saying essentially. But I, I laughed about this because the people screaming about this clearly didn't understand that part of what this was saying is a huge challenge to the core argument as what it says right here. It says in men younger than 40 years old, the number of excess myocarditis events per million was higher after the second dose of this is specifically Moderna than after a positive SARS-CoV-2 test. Now, yes, the argument overall finds that, as it says in the main part of this, overall, the risk of myocarditis is greater after infection than COVID-19 vaccination. Now, I argue that's not true based on a lot of other science we've looked at and why this study doesn't factor in certain things like the 14 to 21 day on vaccination, you know, vax versus unvaxed and whether or not that counts. If you're 13 days in and you get this, are you considered unvaccinated? They use these same faulty things. But all that aside, that's not even the point I'm making. Let's just take this face value. It's fine. Overall risk is greater. The point is the number of excess myocarditis events per million was higher after the second dose than after a positive test for people younger than 40 years. So we're talking 39 years and below. That's a huge, gigantic portion of the middle-aged and young population. That's pretty much everybody that's almost everybody under the, you know, heightened risk category. And you're telling me that all of them 40 and below have a higher risk of myocarditis than than after the injection, after the second injection, than they do after a positive test. That's what they found. So it's amazing that that gets pointed at as proof myocarditis is greater after the after the infection, except that's not even really the finding. If we're talking about under 40, that's that's most of the discussion. Because people that are 59 and above are considered in a different, they're in the higher risk group and so on. But then again, it says down here, just so it's clear, saying that overall, but then it says, however, the risk of myocarditis after vaccination is higher in younger men, particularly the second dose. So it is in general, but even more so in the second dose. Doesn't that right there blow out of the water the entire argument of people like this? It does. Here's another one. Generally speaking, the one I mentioned before. Secondary analysis of serious adverse events reported in the placebo-controlled phase three randomized control clinical trials. You know how, you know how, I just, this is the point I made before. This should be the biggest story. A group that's been caught lying and cheating billions of dollars worth many times before now just got caught doing it again. But nope, nothing. Because you realize a secondary analysis of their placebo-controlled random clinical trial should not be diametrically opposite, which is what it is. They wanted you to believe it's safe and effective. One in a million. Except when they independent people went through it, the Pfizer trial exhibited a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group. Understand what that's saying. Placebo versus vaccine. 
If you're in the vaccine group, your risk of serious adverse event, hospitalization, death, permanent disability was 36 percent higher. Realize we just talked about the Israeli study saying 25% increase in just cardiac arrest. Understand this is saying a 36% increase across the board. You put that injection in your arm, you have an almost 40% increased risk of death, hospitalization, or serious adverse event. 18 per 10,000. <laughs> this should be the end of this stuff. But nope, keeps going. They just shout it down and push forward. This is one of the ones I've shown many times in the past. June 2022, innate immune suppression, right? Science Direct, very clearly saying that it's, it promotes, basically the spike proteins continue to be produced in your body as the, as the mRNA and lipid nanoparticles flow through your, your bloodstream and continues to produce spike proteins that also flow through your bloodstream. The spike protein is neurotoxic and impairs DNA repair mechanisms. Suppression of type 1 interferon responses results in impaired innate immunity, can increase risk to infectious diseases and cancers. Peer-reviewed. It's amazing how they trust the science, right? And just to include this for the discussion of myocarditis, since we're very clearly pointing out how this is a problem that they're pretending isn't there, and the argument overall is that this is just, it's rare though, you know? It goes away, it diminishes, it's a small thing. Well, even if that's the case, even if this is different, as Fauci argues, it's not. the point is that even non-serious cases, according to National Library of Medicine, PubMed, specifically, Department of Cardiology and Pulmonology from uh, Berlin in 2012, specifically focusing on only myocarditis, finds that non-serious cases of myocarditis have a mortality rate of 25 to 56% within the next three to 10 years. And the, the argument is that's owes to the progressive heart failure and sudden cardiac death, uh, especially if heart failure manifests early on. I, it, it's shocking to me that that's even casually stated and we're going no big deal the child had myocarditis it was non-serious though well good so he might die in 10 years okay rock and roll nobody cares now we can see that the cdc as of today literally still arguing not only that these things are safe and effective that every child over six months old should get these things but also should get everything else alongside it six months old not only is that incredibly dangerous, just this dangerous thing, but then you're talking about giving a six-month-old baby the COVID-19 dangerous injection alongside potentially other dangerous injections at the same time, despite the fact that, as you know, clearly on this show, they've never tested these alongside each other. Still to this day. And Scott Armstrong just did a fantastic overview of this exact point. You know, we've been railing on this for a long time now. It's a great article here. I'll go over it in a second. Just so we see this again. As these documents, actually, I should just show it on that same stuff as on the article, showing you that as of, even as of December, the newest, the newest one, it says that they have not studied specifically mRNA shots along any other shots. I'm talking about bivalent or otherwise. They just don't know, as well as the unknown long-term safety. And yet CBC, Walgreens, they all literally say, the CDC says it's safe to receive them, because they do. But it's not, though. They don't know is the truth. And they still say this. They still lie about this. CDC vaccinators are lying about safety of COVID vaccine injections alongside of the vaccines, as well as pregnancy and many other points. That's weird. Dang it, man. And same thing as before. I don't know why this thing keeps shutting off on me. Oh, well. My highlighter. <laughs> my, 
Anyway, so uh, I guess we'll just try to. Well, the point. I had a whole bunch of points on this article. Read it for yourself. It's a great article. It is a, a great, a great overview of, of a lot of the work, both from what I've done and what Scott's done discussing a lot of this stuff. The bottom line, as you know, God dang it, this drives me crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really bugs me when I have all this work put into this and I just don't want to have to make you guys wait as I comb through it and find the points. And then it makes me mad that I'm skipping it. Anyway, <laughs> my own internal dialogue here. But uh, the bottom line, as you know, is that he, he lists these very clearly, as you can see, the list of, of multiple documents, right? The FDA's guidelines themselves showing you that they have not tested the co-administration at all with any of them. Yet right now telling you, go ahead, take your six-month-old infant and take not only this dangerous thing that nobody should take, but take it alongside other injections that we don't know if they're safe together because safe and effective, right? Because vaccines. <laughs> My God. Comernity, same point, same thing. Have not done the research. They don't know. Now, one of the other points and in regard to also, oh, and this was important too, misinformation Monday. People with autoimmune diseases should get vaccinated. For oh, Wait a minute, but they don't know if that's safe because it literally says they don't know right here or wherever it was. Right there. Autoimmune, inflammatory disorders, right? I mean, elderly people, pregnancy, every single one of these says we don't know because it hasn't been done. And yet they push it and push it and push it. Then he argues there's a co-administration study that was done. This is how this game works. The people will point out, right? They'll ignore all the other stuff, including Pfizer and, and your FDA and everybody else's own studies. Just not even look at that anymore and point to the new one because it says what they like. That's the one. That's the one. That's the, that's the one that matters, right? Well, we can go through it and you'll find that said there's some things that are interesting and plenty of others that are very concerning. This is the study itself, co-administration of seasonal influenza and COVID vaccines. Now, what you'll find is this is rife, just completely overwhelmed with problems. Not, not least of which is that it's completely top to bottom funded by pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, because that's not going to have any effect, of course. But one clear point is that it ultimately finds that it does not increase the risk. This study showed that respondents who concomitantly received a influenza vaccine, a booster dose of one of two uh, vaccines assessed, were slightly more likely to report any health impact than those who received the... Okay. So, oh, excuse me, I said, I, I said that wrong in the beginning. It does increase the risk. The point is they ultimately find that there is an increased problem, which is interesting. And this is right in the beginning. Here, it's right here. Where was it? Here it is. Dang it. Okay, hold on. Sorry, I, I, I wasn't going to play. This study showed that. There we go. Here it is. Okay. It says, this study showed that respondents who took these together and, and a booster dose were slightly more likely to report any health impact than those who received these alone. But what's interesting now, do you take that as we're more likely to report them? In any case, I'll go through the limitations. It just seems, it seems to suggest that there is at the very least a perceived increased risk. Anyway, the point is going forward, it says uh, they, they few data are available, ultimately showing you yet again 
although few data are currently available, that ultimately they're operating on limited information, which ultimately shows you, even if you think this does decide it for you, that up until this point, they still don't know. So how is it possible that through 2021 and 2022, they've been going, get it, it's safe and effective. Get them alongside the flu shot. You got two arms, don't you? If you're pregnant, do it because we know it's safe. The point is there was already basically no information, which is what their own studies were saying, that we don't know because we haven't done them. I'm just confirming with this study itself that that was the case. It just doesn't matter. Like Even let's just say they find it today that it's safe and effective. It doesn't change the fact that they pushed it and said it was before they knew that. (laughs) I mean, it's just wildly dishonest. My point is I don't think that's even the truth. I think it's provably not the case. Now, the study date, so from September 2020 September to July 2021, which means that they're right now claiming that these shots are safe together, despite the fact that the current shot being given is not the same shot they tested. Think about how stupid that is. Bivalent, different spike proteins, different antibodies, in fact, different ingredients. And so you may think that's not, not inconsequential, but it certainly matters. It's a different thing, which could have different problems. So they test the cur- the old one and say, we're good, even though they're using something different now. And every time they make a new shot, they're going to pretend like it falls into that same category. That's how the whole mRNA platform game is supposed to work. Now, there's a point to be made about the antibody part of this, which is very interesting. I'll, actually, I'll come back to that in one second. I actually want to make sure I didn't miss that. Okay. Yeah, it's still right there. Hmm. The reason I'm waiting is I feel like I might have been out of order for something I was going to look at, but I'll I'll come back to it. So the other point on this study that's supposed to carry all the weight about how we're wrong, the study did not assess live attenuated vaccines. Like, for instance, the nasal flu vaccine, right? Which has a just so happens to have a side effect potentially of strep A, which just so happens to have been given before we had a weird outbreak of strep A. You know, no big deal. But They're out there, right? They do exist and they are being used. Except when they talk about this on the news, well, they tell you flu is good and safe alongside the COVID shot. Well, does it include this one? Well, they didn't test that one, but does it matter? No, because they're still playing the same stupid game where they say it's safe, even though they don't really know for sure. In that case, this would argue that the live attenuated one would be safe, but they don't know because they didn't test it. I just find that to be ridiculous. Now, you may not think that matters, but it does. The COVID jabs were reportedly both the approved versions the ones they tested, right? Comirnaty, spike backs, which are actually different and are also not being given at all. So not only did they test the earlier version while they're giving the bivalent, they tested the one that had never been given to anybody. <laughs> Think about that. And again, the argument from many people that don't go, they're going to say, well, it's the same thing, but it's not though. And that's a debate that if you already think that, you're probably not going to even want to hear. But they are different, and it's been proven they've been admitted to these things. Whether we're talking about code optimization or different things that are included, they did change these. So the bottom line is that they're testing two things that have never been given to anybody in this country and acting like that means the ones they are currently giving are safe alongside the flu shot. There's many of these guys. Now, this is actually this one. I'm going to look this one up for you. All the eligible... Right here, all the eligible clinical trials in this study were excluded from analysis. Okay, this is help me out if I'm misunderstanding this. It's a total of 352 clinical trials 
16 articles were identified by the the systematic search. So they they identified all of them, which, by the way, I think there's plenty more than that. But either way, let's pretend that's all of it. It says a total of 330 clinical trials and two articles were immediately removed as they were out of scope. Okay, so so you remove 330 of those trials and two of the articles. After screening, 16 clinical trials and seven articles were excluded. Right, so you're bound to basically, the bottom line is, after all the ins and outs, all eligible clinical trials were excluded from analysis. Okay? Oops. Oh, that's weird. I was reading that for me. <laughs> I accidentally hit the uh, this thing. It says translate, listen. That's interesting. I didn't see that before. Anyway, as it says, all eligible clinical trials were excluded from the analysis as no data were available. How, okay, so the, what's the so none of these were included? Apparently not. Overall, it says eight items were included. What does that mean? I, I I guess you could argue that just means all of these things. So an item could be a clinical trial, an article, or any one of them. I guess that's strange to say it like that. But eight items, whatever those are, were included in the analysis. And then it says colon. So I guess that's what they're arguing. What they mean is six of these articles. That's it. One editorial. Which I where where did that even come in? I thought it was only articles and clinical trials, and one report, whatever that means. Okay, so you literally exclude all three hundred and fifty-two trials about this topic, exclude ten of the articles written about it, then just kind of shoehorn an editorial and a report and say that's the study. And that's that's I mean, my God, do I even need to go further? That seems laughably ridiculous. Then it's uh, now I, these are my notes for myself. So, some of the studies that we that they then point to in the meta analysis, or rather specifically, I guess, one of the six articles <laughs> that they reference, uh, were excluding contradictions, which is interesting to me. I Meaning they remove those from the study who might have been at most risk, otherwise known as immunocompromised, allergies, pregnant, etc. Except those are the people that they're pushing the co-administration on first. I keep making this point. How is it possible that you're arguing that the reason we all need to get this thing is to reach herd immunity to protect those that can't get the shots, but then simultaneously you're forcing the shots on those people first? There's so many things like that in this whole game. And that's why I was going to point to this. I'll just point at it again now. Where is it? Right here. UK to give COVID booster dose to higher risk groups. That's my point. So then how do you argue that getting this is supposed to protect those groups if you're giving them extra shots and doing to them first? It's just never been more transparent that this is lying to us in so many different ways. Now, the, the one of the last few points I have, it says they only watched for seven days in the study. Seven days. Don't forget, though, they exclude those who have reactions elsewhere within 14 21 days as unvaccinated okay it also says the bottom line they are literally saying seven days in if there's no problem then we're like we're done seven days is what we're watching for so why then is a person who gets an injection and has a heart attack in 13 days called unvaccinated isn't that an interesting choice if we're literally talking about myocarditis I mean, this whole thing is a game of times and manipulations of statistics. That is ridiculous. 
Now, obviously, one of the main points, as Scott and I discussed, is all of this, obviously, should have been done, you know, before it was forced on children, before it was forced on anybody. Or let alone, the point is it should have never been forced on anybody. But obviously, if it was going to be, maybe they should have tested on this before they did that, right? Unless that was the point. Anyone involved in this type of research today, any of these studies, right, people that allow themselves to be injected and tested and looked at and so on, are most likely going to be pro-injection. Am I wrong? That's a subjective point. It's just my opinion. But think about it. Why would anybody out there who's concerned about these shots go and take a a study to be injected and tested on? Or even if these were tested, you know, these were scooped up from before 2021. The point is, even then, you're arguing these are people that wanted to do it in some cases. So my argument, my point would be that it's slanted, at the very least, in the direction of people that, you know, might not be so willing to report those issues because of politics, which then would influence the, inje- the study. Totally subjective point. I wouldn't allow it to influence the end results of my points, but it's something to consider. And every single person, the main point of this, guys, every single person. I mean, it's almost laughable. I mean, it is laughable. Where was it? Ugh, dang it. Sorry, again, this is my point from before. I'm trying not to let it bother me. All of this was highlighted. Medical writing for this article was financially supported by Sanafi. And that's not even all of it. It's right. Uh... Yeah, see, it's over here. I'll go back to his post here. This is the, this is, it's just all, it's, it's unbelievable. Let's take a look at who's behind this study. Lead author reports fees for board members from AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Sanofi, all of them, every single one of them. This one is for GlaxoSmithKline, Sanofi. This person's got funding from Pfizer, Sanofi, all of them. Every single person involved in this has direct financial benefit from Pfizer and the rest of them. And yet we're supposed to pretend that's the sound argument, right? Well, here it also discussed pregnant women in this in this article that Scott put up about the same point, right? Well, here is another study, the same point from the other discussion. Preliminary findings of mRNA COVID-19 vaccine safety in pregnant persons. So again, the point is, if this is being done right now, that we have to remember, oh, technically it's 2021, but the point was the same. When this was being done, they were still telling people it was safe and effective for pregnant women when they didn't know that. So even if they prove it going forward, the bottom line is they didn't know when they forced it or they didn't care. Same points in all of this. Now, I'm gonna, actually, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip out. I've done this many times. But the point is, you can read this and find the same examples. Up here, they argue that it didn't show any obvious safety signals. But when you dig into the information, you find out that there's much more manipulation going on about what they argue. For example, at the time of the analysis, only 14.7% of persons who identified as pregnant in the surveillance system had been contacted to enroll in the registry. So there are a hell of a lot of other people, maybe selectively chosen, that were in there taking these were pregnant and weren't discussed data for local and systemic reactions at participants reported the BSA platform, you know, may include reports from people who aren't pregnant, whatever. <laughs> what? So we're talking about the risk of pregnant people. The whole point is about safety and pregnancy and it just accidentally may include people that aren't pregnant. Okay. I mean, you can go through and do the same thing for the whole thing. And the bottom line is they try to conflate this to being safe to all pregnancy. When the reality is it's focused on specific trimesters and timing, and it's the same game that's played. The bottom line is, this is dangerous for everybody, like all the rest of its finding, and the reality is they didn't test on these people because I think they knew that. That's my opinion. Now here is what we're seeing as the new threat, which is interestingly overlapped with the recent Pfizer 
I guess, response to the Project Veritas conversation. This is the 27th. What CH, what's CH11? Meet Orthus, a new wild card, Omicron strain, that's apparently part Delta. It's interesting. Omicron spawn, XB15, also known as Kraken, now dominates U.S. COVID variant scene. Now realize the bivalent shot that they just discussed we're going to give everybody is still based on BA1, which has been forced into BA4 and 5 without any human trials, which has now been, I guess, arguably used for XBB1, and then, but now also 1.5. Like, how far can they stretch that without arguing they need to test it more? Forever. Because that was always the plan. They don't need to do more safety testing. We've already reported this. They've already claimed that. That all they need to do is update the genetic sequence. That's it. And they're doing that. Welcome to the new normal, guys. This is your biosecurity state. They don't care. And that same point was crazy conspiracy theorist right up in theory, right up until they started doing it. My point is, even if you don't agree with that, how are you pretending that these shots are even remotely viable against XBB15 if that's what's actually happening? They're telling you that comprises an estimated 61% of cases. But you're being given shots that still talk about Wuhan original strain. You're being given shots that produce antibodies for BA4 and 5. That's literally a recipe for antibody-dependent enhancement. It says, but now, but there's now a new player. So now we're even far, now we're going past XBB15. We're talking about CH11. <laughs> it's just absurd. Not much is known about the relatively new strain but we're sure as hell going to fearmonger about it, has the potential to be more transmissible. I say it about every single one of these. Evade immunity and vaccine and infection and, and cause more severe disease. Never has that happened so far. And the reality is most of the research has always shown that when these things continue to get more transmissible, less deadly, and it peters out. What they've been doing is hyping more and more and more, more transmissible, more transmissible. But as deaths get less and less, they stop talking about it more and more because these guys are propagandists. The bottom line is that this is not dangerous and it never was. And all that's happening is vaccine side effects are being framed or rather specifically the destruction of their immune system. Uh, uh, even taking at face value, this might be real. Their immune system is so destroyed that something that wouldn't harm the average person is harming these people. This is not my opinion. What's more, it features a concerning mutation. And this is what I found so interesting. Seen in the deadly Delta variant that generally isn't seen in Omicron's. It's almost like somebody made that happen, right? One that could make it even more daunting a foe. While CH11 isn't a Deltacron, remember when they tried to force that? Delmacron, Deltacron, a recombinant or combination, which I don't even know. I don't, I don't even, I never got a response about that. Is that even possible? Like, if that's the case, then why don't we have other conflating, mutating, merging different variations? I mean, it just makes sense. But it says it's a prime example of convergent evolution a process through which COVID variants evolve independently, but pick up the same mutations. Well, that's quite interesting. Well, let's take this into another conversation. Well, obviously, we, we many people probably saw that Pfizer responds to ambiguous research claims because they're just so, in, they, it's, it's so childish. Like they can't, they don't name Project Veritas. They don't name, they don't even discuss. The, the point is they don't want people who don't know about that video to know what they're talking about. Why? If it's so fake and so ridiculous, because I th the whole point is about putting this out there so they can act like they responded without showing people what they're responding to. But the most important part about this is that they blatantly admit to gain-of-function research while saying they're not doing gain-of-function research. I mean, it is classic. Before that, though, let's listen to what John Campbell has to say about this. 
Welcome to today's talk, Sunday the 29th of January. Now, I got a surprise uh, when I looked at this. This is a press release from Pfizer. And we're going to be looking at what this uh, says. Now, um, it's from Pfizer. It was released at uh, 8pm on um, Friday. So someone must have been working late, a couple hours late out of the office on Friday. Uh, I did forget I wanted to say that in general. It's, you know, it's funny. John Campbell is a very, very particular kind of person. And, you know, in, you know, don't mean that in a bad way. It's, you know, very, we, you know, him just like you guys know me by watching the show. Right. And he, the way he engages with this, just like that last one where he got, where he was like angry and it just was like, whoa, that's for him. That says a lot. You know, the way he discusses this is very interesting and it's very like uh, facetious. It's essentially what he plays this whole video about is, is, that he's pretending like he doesn't know what they're responding to because that's the game they're playing. And it's just funny. He engages with them. It's, it's basically, you know, it's, it, they should be embarrassed by how stupid this was. And that's kind of what I sense that he's trying to in, in show you by doing it this way. Evening. Strange time to release it. New York, uh, January the 27th, 2023 allegations have been recently made. So allegations apparently have recently been made relating to gain of function and directed evolution research at Pfizer. Now, for those that don't know, that's this is literally discussing the exact claims coming from the Project Veritas video where where this person who very clearly, I don't know if you guys have followed up, but it, that person does or at least did work at a high level position for Pfizer. It's undeniable. And he clearly lied about that while he was acting like he was only the, he did come on as a consultancy, but he's now has a position. They've proven that they've made that clear. It's very interesting the way they engage with this. So this is a response to what he said, where he thought he was on a blind date, or at least that's what we're supposed to believe. Like maybe he knew, maybe Pfizer was setting them up. I don't know. Oh, there's plenty of arguments around this. Nobody should be dismissing it regardless because he clearly works for Pfizer. So if they lied about it, even to set up Project Veritas, that's still really interesting. Either way, his argument was that they were direct. They were doing direct evo, directed evolution, where they were choose. They were force mutating the in, the vi variants in the lab. Now, the the opaque point was whether or not they were releasing that, or rather, just doing it in the lab in order to be able to, I guess, make something for that just in case, or as the arguments are to learn how that would respond. But that doesn't make any sense to me. You realize how much money and time it takes. To, so they're going to guess into every possible variant, just in case. Come on, you know that's not feasible, logical, anything. It only makes sense to me is if they somehow knew that was what was going to come up next or put it out themselves. Or possibly this is all a big lie. All I'm saying is they are directly responding to this, which is very telling in and of itself. Direct quote from the website. And the company would like to set the record straight. So that's good. Pfizer are going to set the record straight. Now, unfortunately, they don't refer to the allegations that they're referring to. So we really don't know what they're talking about. They could be talking about anything. All we, all we know is that they say there's allegations. So it could be allegations that stem from a rumour, for example. We really don't know. A rumour that talked about a mutating a virus, preemptively developing a, a vaccine for new variants that have been artificially generated. When I first started the video, by the way, I thought he didn't know about it right until that point. I thought, oh, he hasn't seen it, <laughs> but he's clearly being facetious. Um, such a rumor may contain swearing or casual blasphemy. We, we, we don't know because it's not. Um, we're not we're not told the press release doesn't tell us. 
this could be being considered for the future within the company, according to a rumour, but as I say, we don't know. Could have come up at a meeting. Actually, in the interest of time, watch the, it's it's entertaining. I just find his dry humor, like somebody said in the chat, it's it's funny. But uh, to the interest of time, I'm much longer today than I wanted to be. Uh, he basically just goes over all of the potential things that were discussed in the hypothetical rumor. That's the game he's playing. It's it's literally from the video, right? The the direct evolution, directed evolution, select the viruses that have desired properties. Like this is what they've done in the past. It is gain of function no matter what they try to gain play. Or say, can't talk. You know, talking about putting these monkeys in a room and and selectively using different, more transmissible variants to reinfect them, and it's that that is what they're talking about. Now, there's more severe versions of that in the lab, or I mean, this is there's different variations. That's what they call directed evolution. That is the same game. Why else? Why would you do that unless you knew that was out there somewhere, or you were going to use that? Because you have to understand, guys, that they're the what. The, this is the same argument I make about the making a vaccine to something ju- they made just in case. What are the chances that somebody else in the world is going to just just so happen one in a billion chance to make the same mutation that you did in the lab? And then guess what? We just so happen to have a vaccine for it. It's just, it's childishly stupid. Same game here. They are make if they were going to do this, they would either have to do it for literally every possible variation, which is endless and impossible. That's not possible. Or they would know this was going to be made because it was out there and they knew that somehow. Or they were going to make it and put it out there. There's no other reason this would happen in my opinion. But it's just my opinion. So let's skip to... Let's see to come out because you kind of know what's coming. Because you've directed the evolution. And uh, you sell a lot of new vaccines. Of course, the immune escape would mean that potentially billions of people have new virus, which conveniently might have already <laughs> on the shelf. Just yeah, see, I mean, even he seems to feel like this is more likely something we're talking about like... like being let out coming from him that's that's you know he's he he's clearly quickly becoming the conspiracy theorist that they want to pretend all of this is which to me just simply means he's engaging objectively with the with the data and not allowing what they call conspiracy theory to influence that in, that investigation that's my opinion but let's cut to the point here cut to the chase he gets to the actual breakdown here that's the allegation that they're talking about we don't know. They don't. They don't specify. So let's stop speculating and get back to what we do know from the press release. The ongoing development of Pfizer BioNTech vaccine is talked about in the press release. Pfizer has not conducted gain of function or directed evolution research. So they're straightening us out, clarifying the position. They have not conducted gain of function or directed evolution research. That's what Pfizer tell us, direct from their press release. Working with collaborators, we've conducted research where the original SARS coronavirus 2 virus has been used to express spike protein from new variants of concern. That is literally gain of function. I mean, I, I, I was actually, when he read that out, I had, like, when I found this, I was like, how is. I wasn't sure. I, I asked myself whether this was manipulated. I really did. Or simply because I don't understand how that is. I mean, by definition, here's, here's what he read right there. Pfizer has not conducted gain of function or directed evolution research, which I find impossible to believe, but it's a different conversation. Working with collaborators, we have conducted research where the original SARS-CoV-2 virus, okay, so they have a virus, has been used to express the spike protein from other variants. They are taking something from other variants 
and manipulating this other virus to express those spike proteins. Now, guys, that is literally gain of function because that will, I mean, you could argue it might be there's gain and I think it's loss of function. But the point is, if they don't know what that's going to do, it could very well make it more transmissible. It could make it more deadly. And that's what gain of function means. They are manipulating it to have it to so it gains the a function of more transmissibility or so on in a simplistic term. That but that is what they're talking about. Are we really going to? Yeah, they're trying to split hairs, just like EPP PPP research. Not the same thing, except it's literally the same definition. You just change the defin the name of it in the middle of this investigation and act like it's always been that. No, it hasn't. It was gain of function, and in the middle of all this, you changed it. So here we are, where they're admitting that. I find that. Mind-blowing. This research provides a way for us to rapidly assess the ability of an existing vaccine to induce antibodies that neutralize a newly identified variant of concern. Okay, that might sound like it makes sense, but let me ask you this. So you add a spike protein to a different variant that then changes it and, and makes it different. You then test the previous injection to see if it has a response. Okay, how does that then tell you that that same thing is going to have the same good response against the new variant? That's totally different. It doesn't. So that still doesn't make any sense. You are, I mean, again, that only makes sense if you somehow know that the thing you made in the lab will then be the thing that it's used against. I mean, you could get maybe get some kind of information to say, like, if there's some kind of variation that's like this, that has similar spike proteins, maybe this will make sense. But that is a whole lot of research for a gigantic hypothetical. That's not what's happening. This is why they call it dual purpose. They are making weapons. Now it says in a, in a limited number of cases, when a full virus does not contain any known gain of function mutations, that's interesting, such virus may be engineered to enable the assessment of antiviral activity in cells. So I'm, I'm going to argue that what they mean by this is just that like a natural version of that, which is, as far as I know, is not how that's usually used. Maybe that's on purpose to trip people up. Just a thought. I personally have never seen gain of function used outside of lab work. Argue Like you just call it a mutation, right? And argue that it got more transmissible. But maybe that's just me not knowing the terminology. That's fair. But I'm pretty sure gain of function is used in that case. So the fact that they used it right there seems telling to conflate these things as natural, right? But it says such virus may be engineered to enable the assessment of antiviral activity in cells. What, el what else would you call engineering a virus to do something different? In addition, in vitro resistance selection experiments are undertaken in cells incubated with SARS-CoV-2 and this other treat drug they're using in order to secure biosafety three level laboratory to assess whether the main protease can mutate and you. I mean, they're, so what they're testing all these different mutations and engineering it to do something different, but totally not gain of function. I don't care whether you think they're doing it for um, malicious purposes or not. That's what this is. By definition. If I've got this wrong, Pfizer can contact me and I will immediately correct it. But it sounds to me like this, we have the original Wuhan virus here with its uh, spike proteins, of course, that we know about. Now, it sounds like they've been taking this original, uh, this original virus, this uh, original Wuhan virus, and adding spike proteins from a different uh, from a different virus. What else would you call that? So in the end, the new virus we have 
It's not the original Wuhan virus. It's not the new one. It's a uh, combination of two organisms. What you might call a Frankenstein virus. Right. And like, let's just say there was a freak chance that it happened to be exactly the same functionally. <laughs> totally not likely. You know, it's in some it's going to change. You literally change this thing. So it's going to be it's going to be different. And if it changes, then that is some kind of manipulation, which is most likely gain of function research. I mean, this is just splitting hairs. They know what they're doing. Um, I must say that uh, idea of a brand new virus with unpredictable emergent properties terrifies me. Exactly. But that's only me. I'm, I'm a timorous man. Hmm. Well, anyway, so the, the main thing for me here, guys, is that it's obvious that that's what's happening, right? So whether they call it whatever they want. So they were just admitting to us in that discussion. And what was, what was the day? It was the, uh, the 27th of January, right? Admitting to us. That's that basically adding spike proteins from other variants and, the, and and specifically discussing the Delta discussion, discussing the spike, what they're literally talking about. And then boom, just like that. We see it. Okay. That's interesting. And this is the same day, mind you. Now I'm not saying we know for sure that, this, you know, even likely it'd be the same day, but where they're literally discussing the research that they've done by adding spike proteins right to this new variant of concern and then we all of a sudden get this weird overlap where they literally talk about it as exactly that a a a, a, a variant but with the delta spikes or delta variations i mean come on like there's so many overlaps to this where they are saying they're doing what later comes to pass and we can't even ask that question it's pretty interesting to me now, I'm actually going to skip this. It's not even worth it. This guy, this Mr. Cedar here ridiculously weighs into the Project Veritas discussion. And just basically just, uh, it's just so bad. They're not doing this because they said so. And that's not what's happening. Like the fact that anybody can stand there and so smugly argue that they know what Pfizer is and is not doing. is just dumb. Like he doesn't have insight into what they're doing. He's reading to you what they say they're doing. So you are so certain because you read what Pfizer said. These people are just willfully ignorant. I'm not saying I know for sure that what the Pfizer guy said is true because we're objective. But what he's saying is, is equally stupid in reverse as saying we know for sure that, that it is happening. He is saying he knows for sure they're not doing that. I mean, it's just dumb because it's certainly possible. And this is where we get to the point about this, you know, essentially forcing all of this stuff on people that they know is changing, that they know is not safe, that they know is causing myocarditis, potentially on purpose, and forcing it on the very people that they argue are being protected by everybody else taking it. And more and more of them being given. And don't forget, as Scott points out, well, this is one of the lists that they don't even know it's safe for because they haven't tested it. But make sure you get it to them first. It's also called an extra booster. For smaller groups of people, such as the older and immunocompromised, exactly the people that we don't know. Here's an example of, an, of a child. God, this is sad. This breaks my heart. It says, can you believe that here in the UK, a judge, a judge has just ruled for a disabled boy with actual heart problems to be forced to have the jab against his mother's wishes. I mean, think about this, guys. We know that the heart problems exist, and you're going to literally argue that a kid, right, 
who we know has a risk of 0.0003% of dying. That's a, this is, well, I mean, even if you think it's, the, the, take the consensus between even the admitted, it's less than the flu right now. For under 19, even the Oxford calculator since the beginning of this has argued under 19 was one in a million chance. The, the corporate narrative has argued that. So we're literally going to say that this kid who has heart problems should take an injection that causes heart problems for something he's so small a chance of. This is, I can't even think of a word harsh enough for this. Because you have to understand, guys, this, this is a, an apparatus, a medical establishment, a government who is forcing a child to take something that they know is going to hurt them at some level or those that don't care to take against something that is not risk threatening his life for politics. For politics. I mean, God, I, I just don't even have the words to express how much this this keeps. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Was born with a heart condition, con, uh, congenital heart disease. He also had a cleft palate. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is he, he was born with um, a chromosome condition. So that's also caused severe learning difficulties. And he doesn't have any speech either. Just like having a baby, he's a baby. He has a a, a very young mental age, you know, um, and uh, but yet he's in a a grown grown man's body. He was one when he had his heart surgery done. Hmm. I just said and kissed him on the forehead, and I said, you know, I will always protect you. Whatever I do, I'll always protect you. And this is what I feel I'm doing at the moment. They suddenly appeared after the. Um, lockdowns where I got a, a, a big envelope through the post and they it was taking me to court with all the evidence we put forward I mean ask yourself why like we're not talking about right now guys we're talking about in the midst of all of this that they went so far as to target her son I you know what I think we know why damn it I mean for the, it's so disgusts me that we have this situation where you're we have on the record, examples of people in this position being given do not resuscitate orders. People with dyslexia. Right, because it makes sense that they shouldn't be resuscitated because they have a learning disability. This is straight up eugenics. And it makes me just, it just kills me that they are, they, they sought out this child and, and basically took them to court to force this child to get an injection they didn't need at a time. And again, not now. In the middle of all of this, when there's plenty of other people that were still taking these things that they could, but they went right after these children. Why? There's something inherently villainous about all of this, and it makes me sad. And it really does. I can't, I'm not making this up. This kind of stuff eats away at me that we're not doing enough to help the people like this that don't have a voice. This stuff is still happening. Said he was to have the vaccination. You know, I have to stay strong. We're a unit. I love him with all my heart, and I'm everything to him as well. So he knows when I'm upset, he knows. Because he, he puts his arms around me and he kisses me all the time. Um, but I try not to get upset with him in the room, obviously, sorry. And um, I'll do anything for him, absolutely anything, you know. But now we are actually going to the courts of appeal to appeal it. Well, my solicitor has set up uh, a crowdfunding, which is crowd justice, and um, <clears throat> hoping you know we can raise some monies to put towards this appeal. Some monies, right? You know, we'll, we'll raise nine million dollars for a wealthy NFL player 
but you know, here's, here's 6,000 for a child forced to take an injection that might take his life. You know, it's just, it's just what our, 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 well, who knows if that's genuine and honest or not, but it seems our priorities are a lot of whack. Raise some monies to put towards this appeal. There's the, for the, for the podcast it is crowdjustice.com forward slash case forward slash Tom. And uh, there have been some fabulous people who have left some um, great comments and there's so much support going on there, you know, and very kindly donated. Through the madness and the lies As they're holding God, man. You know, there's just so many people out there that we don't get a video about. Right. Peep children that are being forced in court to take these things or or taken from their parents and put in a dangerous foster situation that is a direct pipeline to human trafficking, as they've admitted themselves, you know, because it's better for them there. We're told it's just this stuff drives me crazy. It's all about narrative and politics. These people are being put in danger. We need to stand up for these people because right now you have the WHO telling you this is not over. Despite the complete diminishing of any real danger, if it was ever there to begin with, despite the fact that most of the people, you know, the the whole point is that they are not done with what they're trying to accomplish. There's never been a risk in regard to what we understand is less than the flu. The data shows that. So him now standing up and saying that COVID remains a global health emergency means that it will always be that forever. Just like we told you, this is the forever pandemic, the forever war Point two point oh. This is not stopping. The your body is the new battlefield. Meanwhile, I get who knows why Biden comes out and says we're going to end it on May eleventh. So how exactly is the WHO saying it's not over when Biden comes over and goes? We already see the end of this, despite the fact that he pushes it out to May, which is just stupid. So you somehow know it's going to be over by May? I mean, it just this is just pacifying. This is just just pl- placating. That's what it is. And don't forget the definitions from Norman Fenton that I already read showing you how they play this game about pandemic, about emergency, about a global health emergency. All these different definitions they use, this is how they play the game. They alter these things, they manipulate them, and they play you. Not Maybe not all of them know this, but it is happening very clearly. Now, last two points. Greg Price reports that every Democrat in the House just voted against proceeding with debate on bills that would end the COVID national health emergency and end the COVID vax mandate for federal health care workers. Now, it's not shocking that would be the case. But as I understand it, the House just passed, not it's not passed in general yet, but the House just passed the bill on ending this. But it's I doubt it will actually happen with Biden in the White House and the Senate being just probably is not going to happen. But it shows you that there's clear divide on party lines, whether that's even what's going to happen. Like here, you know how this works a lot of the times? is people that might be on the right know that it won't pass because of the other side. So they vote in favor of something they know their constituents will think they want and think that you're on their side, even though they knew that it wouldn't pass and and are actually on the side of maintaining this because it gives them more power. But they know they can get away with voting yes because it won't pass and they won't have to worry about their lobbyists. They play this game all the time. They play us all the time. It is happening, guys. Now, on top of that, just, and by the way, here, I, I, I saw this right as we were starting. Uh, let's see. It just pops up. Here we go. Oh, no. Let's do the past day. 
There we go. There's the one. House Republicans pass bill to end COVID public health emergency. I, I, I'm, I mean, call me a pessimist. I'm going to go. I'm willing to bet you that there's it's almost a guarantee that's not going to happen. Everything rides on that emergency. If that emergency goes away, you no longer have emergency use authorization. You no longer have the emergency in general to force lockdowns and public health, you know, the the masks and whatever else. I mean, that I, I would be very surprised. But don't forget, we still have a monkeypox emergency. So why would we want to end the COVID emergency and not end the monkeypox emergency that never even happened? <laughs> I mean, this, this is such a game. I'm convinced of it. But last point, the U.S. government, in midst of all of this, guys, and this is exactly one of the main reasons why this is not going to come to an end, the U.S. government, the Washington Post reports, may, just may have awarded $5.4 billion in COVID aid to businesses using potentially ineligible social security numbers. Totally okay, though, because it's just a, it's a, this is a massive money laundering scheme on top of everything else. And I'm not even talking about Ukraine, guys. I'm talking about the money that's been taken from your pockets and used in any number of ways, including bribing companies and governments and media outlets in order to maintain some kind of, I mean, Dr. Peter McCullough talks about this, whether we're talking about the CARES Act, you may not see it as a bribe, but you're still giving money to groups that then later toe the line. It's kind of clear how this is working out. This is a cash cow. That's why we've seen people... I mean, Pfizer, Moderna, Bill Gates, high-level people profit more than ever. While these things hurt people more than ever. But didn't you know it's a raging success? mRNA platforms, guys, that's your future because it worked. They're actually saying that. And I know it's not just us. If none of the people that were on their side are taking the new bivalent, who are they talking about? How is this a success? How have they proven that mRNA shots work if nobody's taking them? This isn't over. It's important that we stay the course, guys, and we fight for the truth because you're winning, but they're still fighting. Stay the course. I love you all, as always. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? If you do not have a mask, you cannot provide public transportation, sir. My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey, and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Everything I've seen in the last nine days, all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy. Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right to freedom of religion? Never in the history of this country have we been told that you can't go to church 
because it's not essential, but you can go get an abortion because that's essential. Never before in our country have we let criminals out of jail, but we've told you you can't exercise your Second Amendment right and protect yourself by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. We cut off people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. You didn't want to meet. This booklet, the Declaration of Independence and our U.S. Constitution, was never designed to restrain the people. It was designed to restrain the government. We're realizing that the fatality rate of this virus is in the ballpark of a bad seasonal influenza. Do not let your voices be silenced. We will see eventually that this government-imposed cure is going to be worse than the virus itself. But what's happening now is unemployment reaches 20 to 30 million people is those folks are now becoming dependent on the government. And what government dependency causes is a larger, more tyrannical government. We the people want to put our government back in its place. We want a small representative government, not a large tyrannical government. I'm here representing thousands of physicians around the country whose voices must be heard. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So you guys are asking me to leave the store for not wearing a mask when I have a medical condition, even though yours is pulled under your nose. A note that says I don't have to bring a note, and yours isn't even on. You just do whatever you want to do. It's America, right? Listen, I cannot wear a mask. Get out! Do not let your voices be silenced.